0: You didn't back you
1: didn't back you didn't back am thinking let this circle
0: you know let the you know
1: you are you you Come
0: on, Get him down! Get him down! Get him down! Get him
1: down!
2: Oh, now, I know your dad
1: was a dart at Greaterford. And I've got a daughter of my own, so we're going to pretend this never happened. Okay, and as for Alex Jones, he has orders not to leave the Commonwealth. What? Sir, I need you. To go home. Boy, All right, what, I need you to go home. What, with family? what I just fucking told you? Why aren't you sending someone out to go arrest this guy? Tell Detective Loki what you just told me, and he'll definitely look into it. Go ahead. That asshole, you promised me you'd keep in custody, right? And you didn't. And right now, when I grabbed him in the parking lot, he said right to my fucking face, they didn't cry until I left them. Right to my fucking face. He's, he, said, he said that to you in the parking lot just now? Right now, yeah. What did I just say? In the parking lot. Before you grab me off him
2: to anyone else here besides you? I don't know. It was quiet. He he said it to me. He wanted me to know. Are you sure he said that? To you? What? No. I wouldn't make this up. Hey, hey. Wait, hey wait, why, wait, no, wait, no. Wait, think about why would I make this up? I'm not up? saying that to you. I'm just asking you a couple questions. I will talk to him. No. Don't okay? talk to Arrest him.
3: God, if your life had a face I would punch it. Yeah.
2: Wait, what? Let me ask you something.
3: Why would you make the point of saying someone's not a genius? Do you think I'm especially not a genius? Veronica, why are you pulling my dick?
2: Suck my fat one, you cheap dime store hood.
4: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of The Greatest Moments in the History of Forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is episode number 333, Prisoners. And this is listener request number 45, courtesy of Kevin. So thanks a lot to Kevin. We've referenced it before on the show that Kevin's first listener request with us, Blue is the Warmest Color, really kicked off a, a second era of the Definitely. show.
5: Oh, yeah. The and, era
4: that we think of as having listeners. Right. <laughs> the good times. And
5: really, Kevin, I would say, has become our resident Jake Gyllenhaal expert. Yeah, here.
4: definitely a, a Gyllenhaal fan.
5: But I'm glad he requested this one because I had,
4: hadn't watched
5: it previously. It's sort of been sitting around on my list to watch. I liked it even more than I expected. It's it's a pretty powerful movie, and I found myself getting pretty uh, choked up towards the ending sequences. Oh,
4: wow.
0: Yeah,
5: yeah. The, the drive back to the hospital, specifically.
4: Oh, okay. Oof, yeah. yeah. Not the whistle. <laughs> you blew my mind a little bit by saying you hadn't seen the picture before, because I felt like I had told you how great this was and how you needed to watch it. Well,
5: I did just watch Enemy. Is that what it is? The other Jake Gyllenhaal one? Yeah. I did just watch that within the last like year or so. Okay. So I half listened, because I think you recommended both of them.
4: All right, so yeah, Prisoners 2013, this is a very cool movie, very good, a movie that reminds you of how good movies can be, Mm -hmm. which is a weird sentence to say, but sometimes you forget
5: how good movies can be. And and look, I I told you before the show, when this came out, it was not on my radar at all. I don't remember a trailer for it. I, I just don't remember this movie coming
4: out. Well, I saw it in the theater yeah props to me Hmm.
5: good good job (laughs) I believe you had that one
4: (laughs) folks find us on X formerly known as Twitter at greatest pod from there you can do your own listener request we have a little icon you can click on that takes you to our cash app I misquoted the prices of the listener requests in the Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy episode nobody has pointed this out it's not a huge discrepancy or anything
5: Probably because people normally fast forward through that part.
4: Yeah, it really would not have impacted Kevin's request anyway, as his movie is over two hours and thirty minutes. But initially, I was saying it was fifty dollars for a movie that was two hours and ten minutes, and then that got unintentionally expanded to two and a half hours last time. Folks, I don't really care. Whatever, if it's two hours and ten minutes, two hours and thirty minutes. If you don't want to give us seventy-five dollars, but you want to give us fifty, and it's somewhere in between there. That's fine. Like we've said a million times, this isn't for money, so no. I'm not really that worried about it, but I just wanted to clarify that in case anyone noticed that the prices seem slightly different. I think I just well, had you know, it in my head because of what the prices might be next year.
5: I think people are probably just like, well, inflation.
4: Well, no, that would have been cheaper. They were going to get a better deal. They were getting more minutes mm. for their money. Oh, okay.
5: Well, we're trying to corner the market, yeah.
4: Yeah. Well, next year, the prices will be more expensive anyway. We only have a few more slots left. If so if you're interested, reach out on x slash Twitter or via email greatestpod at gmail.com. Please send us your emails anyway. We'd love to read them. Whatever. You can still find us on Letterboxd, Zach1983, and Matt Crosby, even though I think I'm pretty much done with Letterbox, but whatever.
5: I feel like you'll have a comeback at some point.
4: Maybe. And stickers, reach out in the usual ways. We'll Mm. send you a free sticker if you'd like. Haven't had a request in a while. Yeah, so we still have some stickers to give away. Yeah,
5: I did give some out recently, though, to some new listeners, but haven't had a request in a while.
4: Anything else, you know where to reach us, usual places. We'll run down through the listener request nonsense next time because we are going to have another episode very shortly coming your way, probably this week or this weekend. So yes, there might be a weird release date of a Friday night or a Saturday night for the next episode, but you are getting two this week and it will also be a listener request for Carla, so we'll go through the listener request Mumbo Jumbo one more time <laughs> this month. Okay. And then we'll we'll pause it for a little bit. Yeah. Prisoners was released in 2013. It was directed by Denis Villeneuve, mm-hmm. written by Aaron Guzikowski. I want to say the budget of the film was $46 million. And at the box office, it was a hit. It pulled in 122.1 million. Wow. But despite doing pretty well and getting great reviews, we were discussing before hitting record that it felt like a movie that did come and go very quickly for some reason. Right. And I don't know why it only got the one Oscar nomination, which we'll mention in a moment. But I'm not sure why. It seems like it's worthy of more.
5: I know. I already want to watch it again.
4: Yeah. It's definitely one of those movies that it was just slightly under the radar Mm -hmm. as much as you can be for a movie that makes that much money that has these kind of stars in it. I know. But I think that over time, the people who have seen it recognize that it is in a pretty high class.
5: I feel silly that a movie that made that much money just was not even on my radar at all. But- I kind of think this was around the time where we weren't really hanging out that much. And you definitely keep me like on the ball in terms of being aware of certain <laughs> things happening.
4: Yeah, I was almost breaking away and then unfortunately got yeah, pulled back into this. Yeah, you got sucked this. back. <laughs> yeah, it was in between our podcasts. Yeah, that's right. It was post-Killer Cinema. Yeah. <laughs> For those of you who have never seen Prisoners like Matt previously or would like to rewatch it for the purposes of listening to this podcast, you can find it streaming now for free on Netflix. Or, of course, you can rent it via streaming. As of right now, I don't think there's a 4K release. I just have the Blu-ray. Well, it looks
5: pretty incredible as is, I will say.
4: Yeah, I just used the the Netflix as well just to make it easier for me. Yeah, a
5: sharp-looking movie, especially the way they do the weather. Like, that rain scene when he's tracking him to the liquor store. Yeah. I feel like that looks incredible.
4: Well, Prisoners received one Academy Award nomination for Roger Deakins' cinematography. My boy. And it lost to Gravity. In addition to Prisoners and Gravity, 2013 was the year of 12 Years a Slave, American Hustle, Captain Phillips, Dallas Buyers Club, Her, the Wolf of Wall Street, Inside Lewin Davis, and wow. Nebraska. Okay.
5: Well, Gravity was kind of when we started hanging out again because you told me to see Gravity. <laughs> I do remember that. So I must have just missed my prisoner's moment.
4: Yeah, well, even though I saw it in the theater, I don't even remember having conversations with people about yeah. it. I don't really know how, what to make of that. I don't know why it feels a little more under the radar than it should be. Gravity
5: sort of feels like it hasn't really lived on either.
4: No, and I actually think that Prisoners probably lives on bigger. Yeah. Part of that is it being on Netflix for years now. I yep. think more people probably have And probably just it.
5: the uh, Denis Villeneuve, Villeneuve, whatever, effect where he keeps making big movies. So there keeps being more movies where people are like, we got to go see what else this guy has done.
4: Aaron Guzikowski wrote the script for the 2009 annual Blacklist and based on on a short story he wrote involving a father whose kid was struck by a hit-and-run driver mm. and then puts this guy in a well in his backyard. That short story was partially inspired by Edgar Allan Poe's The Telltale Heart. Ah. After he wrote The Spec, many actors and directors entered and exited the project, including actors Christian Bale and Leonardo DiCaprio, hmm. and directors Antoine Fuqua and Brian Singer. Ultimately, Guzikowski would credit producer Mark Wahlberg for getting the project on its feet, stating he was totally pivotal in getting the film made. That endorsement helped it get around. Principal photography then began in Georgia in February of 2013. Well, I'm glad it wasn't Singer. That feels like a different movie. Yeah, it it probably wouldn't have the legacy that this film is probably going to. Wahlberg and Bale were actually all set to star at one point with Singer directing, but Mm. the two actors opted to make The Fighter with David O. Russell instead, but Wahlberg retained the executive producer credit on Prisoners. Jackman was actually attached when Antoine Fuqua was slated to direct. Both dropped out eventually, but after several years in development, Jackman ends up circling back and returning to the project. With a whole new creative team behind it. Wow. Prisoners is set in a place called Conyers, Pennsylvania, which as far as I can tell seems to be fictional. Yeah. There is, however, a Conyers, Georgia, though, and that's actually where the movie was filmed. Wow. That's interesting. Originally, the script called for being outside of Boston- but it was changed to be a suburb outside of Philadelphia, and then it was actually shot in Georgia anyway. Oh, wow. I couldn't so, tell where figure.
5: it was. I, I was like thinking that it was like Pacific Northwest or something. I wasn't p- paying too close of attention, but it just rains a lot in the movie, a
4: lot of rain. They definitely have Pennsylvania license plates. Yeah. They don't really specify much, though, and they're not really working with your typical Philly accent right, or anything right, like yeah. that. <laughs> Which the, would have uh, added a level of humor to some <laughs> of it, maybe. The
5: out-of-the-furnace
4: accents from <laughs> Braddock. <laughs> the movie's set during a gloomy, rainy Thanksgiving time. Yeah. There's a lot of feelings in the movie of what I would kind of describe as a general white intensity. I think we all kind of know what that is. It, it probably looked a little different in 2013 than it would maybe say, oh, I don't know, three years later mm. in <laughs> 2016. Yeah. But you know what I'm saying. You can just get that sense right away. It's a lot of great context clues just visually from what we're seeing early in the film. Hunting, religion, yeah, yeah. thinly veiled rage, a life built on fear. Obsession. Yeah, well, an obsession, too, but an obsession with something grounded in fear. Yeah, yeah. This fear of something that may happen. That's this whole guy. hmm It opens with the voiceover of the Lord's Prayer from Hugh Jackman. I think we'll circle back to this later because I was kind of wondering when you think that voice is coming from because it doesn't seem to be in that moment when they're hunting for the deer yeah. And I was thinking there's a part later where he does it in the apartment building when he's sort of at his wits' end with what's going on there. Right. But then there was also a part of me thinking is that supposed to be him speaking at the end of the film when he's trapped? I don't know. But he definitely seems to be in a little bit more distress. For sure. Than sort of your typical oh, I'm hunting with my son moment. Yeah. That would make
5: sense if it was supposed to be a snippet from the end.
4: Yeah, well, I wasn't sure if it was the end or the part later with Alex Jones in the apartment building mm-hmm. when he's Could just be. sort of losing Defeated him. it. Keller Dover, played by name. Hugh Jackman, is out hunting with his son, Ralph. They shoot a deer. And the whole mentality of Keller Dover is, quote, be ready. He's a survivalist. Yeah. He's always thinking about the potential for some sort of apocalyptic event, floods. Right some big moment coming in the future which i guess like the big
5: thing about that is you can never be ready for certain things the weirdness of the world right these things that blindside you on some idle holiday time whatever like that's really represented in his character because he is over the top
4: when you get a look at that basement yeah you're I like think this is a problem <laughs> these types of people have always existed but the first time they came into prominence, in my world yeah. view, would be leading into Y2K. Mm-hmm. You started to have Same. people freak out that we were going to have a major grid yeah. collapse because of the computers or whatever. You
5: just saw like canned goods flying off the shelves.
4: Right. And I think that those types of people existed before that, but that definitely popularized it in a mainstream way. And then I think even since then- yeah it's continued to grow a base membership into that nutty world, I guess, if you Mm. know what I'm saying. Yes. The peak is not as high as Y2K, don't get me wrong, but I'm saying because of that, the base, the people that are still there has continued to grow Mm -hmm. over time, and I think there's more and more people like that who assume that because of technology or the government or racism – not that that's the case with Keller, but you know what I mean? There's some right. motivating factor that the world is going to end or something, and they have to be ready for it.
5: Yeah, as the movie goes on and, and they peel back the layers of the Keller Dover character, you just find yourself being more and more interested in what all has been going on with this guy.
4: Yeah, I think that there's a lot of people similar to Keller, and I yeah. think that because of our ever-changing political climate, these people tend to seem far less sympathetic Mm -hmm. as time goes on. Certainly far less sympathetic than Keller is in this film. Oh, yeah. Even though he makes some horrific choices, I think that from the way they portray this guy, you would assume after the first, I don't know, 30 seconds to two minutes of the movie, that this guy is way worse than he actually is. Right. Because... Let's face it, this guy in 2023 is racist. Yeah. He's horribly homophobic. Oh, yeah. He's storming the Capitol. Yeah, Yeah. that's what I'm saying. This guy is way different now, this version. In this movie, Keller does have some traits that sort of make you raise your eyebrows because they are reminiscent of things associated with maybe some Mm -hmm. of that more questionable behavior. But- It never goes there. right? Their best friends are an African-American family, people they're spending a holiday with. That's Mm -hmm. not part of the stereotype. And it is a stereotype. I'm not saying that being a survivalist makes you a racist or anything like that. Right. I'm saying that when you are portrayed in a film, they tend to hit those stereotypes pretty hard. That is true. And this character feels like they would portray him a lot differently after a certain point or else they would get rid of some of these traits because they're not associated with the type of characters that they're trying to make Keller, which is a pretty reasonable and relatable guy who was just kind of on edge and been pushed to something.
5: But the more time that goes on in the movie, the less I like him. I will say that
4: he digs in. Well, spoiler alert for some of my notes, but it's a phrase that came up in Tinker, Tailor soldier spy about the fanatic having the secret fear of being wrong. And he, doubles and triples down on what he's doing because he's set up a world for himself where he can't be wrong now. It's definitely
5: one of the things that makes this movie great, though, is these
4: layered characters, particularly the two leads. There's just so much depth to these two guys. Yeah, and Jackman definitely gets the flashier role Mm -hmm. as it's written, and I think that that's probably why Gyllenhaal ends up bringing a lot of his own ideas to flesh out his character more. I think on paper there was less to do. Okay. Whereas Jackman got the big emotional yeah, yeah.
5: scenes. But I'm super interested in what's driving this Detective Loki. It's more than just wanting to solve the crime and save the day. Well, he seems to have some sort
4: of ADD or something. Yeah. It's, but well, he has a, the tics.
5: Yeah, for sure. I would say there's a McNulty-esque level of obsession with the job.
4: Well, yeah, I think that as a viewer, you can definitely bring in your history with police dramas, yeah. police obsessions, police working cases, stuff you've seen on TV and in film, and you kind of get that. You get that there's an unhealthy relationship. Right. And, you know, we're jumping ahead a little bit, but his introduction into the movie tells you a lot about him as well. Mm-hmm. He's eating Chinese food alone on Thanksgiving. Right. At no point in this movie is there even the suggestion that he has a life outside of work.
5: There was definitely a version of me like that for a while, although it was going to see The Hunger Games by myself on Thanksgiving.
4: (laughs) (laughs) There were several
5: Thanksgivings of me going to see The Hunger Games. That actually
4: sounds a lot like my present and future. (laughs) (laughs) In addition to Keller and Ralph, there is Grace Dover, played by Maria Bello. Always Mm -hmm. love seeing Maria Bello. Same. Somebody who should be in 10 times as many things. She's been around forever. I always love seeing her. Always brings it. Great. Little sister Anna as well. The Dovers are walking within their own neighborhood over to the Birch home to celebrate Thanksgiving. Viola Davis plays Nancy Birch and Terrence Howard plays Franklin Birch. They have two daughters, Eliza, who is closer in age to Ralph, and Joy, who is younger and closer in age to Anna. Even initially when they're walking over, I think you get some shots of this RV driving around the neighborhood. It's kind of a questionable-looking vehicle in the sense that it looks out of place. Yeah. And it's driving around aimlessly. It doesn't seem to be going anywhere. It raises some eyebrows for parents, I would say. A single guy like me in my 40s, if I'm... In the neighborhood, I'm ignoring it, and if I'm in the driver's seat of the RV, I'm definitely (laughs) attracting some unwanted attention. I'd say so. (laughs) Later, the RV will be parked in front of a random house in the neighborhood, and the younger girls will, for some reason, start playing on it, which they seemed a little old to be doing that. I was like, Mm. really? They're going to just run and jump on this thing like wild animals? (laughs) That seemed kind of crazy to me. Yeah.
5: That event seems like it would cause some distress in the neighborhood, even if it's not their parents. Neighbors being like, guys, don't mess around over there.
4: Well, even just from the perspective of this is somebody else's property. Well, yeah, I know. Why do you think you can just climb on it? (laughs) What's wrong with you? I don't know. The suburbs. Sometime during the long, lazy aftermath of the Thanksgiving meal, Anna and Joy say they are going to head back over to the Dover house ostensibly to search for Anna's missing whistle, probably because the girls just want to have some fun on their own. There seems to be some miscommunication, though, because later Anna's parents seem to think the younger girls were supposed to recruit their older siblings to tag along on this mission, but Anna and Joy never informed Ralph and Eliza of their plans, so then they're kind of confused as to where they are, what's Mm -hmm. going on. Eventually, the adults realize that Anna and Joy are now missing all of a sudden. And this is a problem. Dread is setting in. Yeah, and the movie is very effective at how it moves along, too, by dispensing information because in the buildup of finding out that the girls are missing, that's when we first get a look at the Dover basement. And we realize that, yeah, the hunting and the survivalist stuff he was talking about is legit. And it goes beyond what we thought they have a warehouse of goods in their basement, and they are a family who, through dialogue, we understand kind of scrapes by financially. Mm-hmm. They're not exactly poor, but Keller seems to run his own carpentry-type business, so he's counting on work coming in. There's no guarantee of work. It's right. how much work does he get based on clients calling in and stuff of that nature. Yeah, it seems so seems like there
5: may have been a financial opportunity with that other building,
4: Well, yeah, they bring that up, but he feels like it's going to be too much work or whatever. And maybe the idea is that he hasn't come to grips with the idea that he just has to sell it. Yeah, Yeah. like he can't hang on to this. He's not going to be able to do that work. But my whole point was they're a family that scrapes by, and they have a basement full of materials that aren't cheap. No, There's a lot of stuff in there. It looks like a stock room of a store.
5: Well, he's investing in the future. I guess I know the more layers you peel away of Keller the more you're like what's up with this dude because we see and hear someone say something to him there's multiple instances of this and then there's other characters that question that he actually heard what he thought he heard
4: (laughs) So you think that the other characters are questioning his mental stability it it
5: makes me think there's a history (laughs) it's possible of like making up his own realities or whatever hearing what he wants to hear
4: that's possible, but I also think it was sort of illustrating the frustration that can come in these moments when you're yeah. dealing with someone mentally ill that doesn't quite grasp the situation, and then you have no witnesses, and then, right, like so many other projects, it ends up in the situation where the police's hands are tied because yeah. they didn't have the right proof, or... Well, It's, it's, it's kind of similar to the yeah. Zodiac stuff I, at that's times. That's
5: true. And you hear the crime stories over time where the police are the ones trying to make a very specific suspect fit the narrative and the crime. That's not the case in this movie, but that's very much going on with Dover here. Yeah, eventually.
4: At some point during all of the hullabaloo, after the girls go missing, the RV is remembered and the police are called. And as I said, there's a scene that tells us everything we need to know about Detective Loki, played by Jake Gyllenhaal, where he is sitting alone at an empty Chinese restaurant on Thanksgiving. He's working, but at no point during the rest of the film do we ever see him outside of this. Right. You never need to. That's not what this movie is. He is just this guy. He doesn't have a family. doesn't seem like he has friends. It never He's stops. He's this guy. 100% is the job.
0: Happy Thanksgiving. All
2: right, thanks. Did you have you ever of those um, fortune cookie things?
3: My boss told me cups don't like fortune cookies.
2: How oh, what year were you born? Like, were you a dragon or a snake or a horse or? I'm sheep? a monkey. Oh, you're a monkey. You're very intelligent. <laughs> you have an ability to influence people. I think maybe you could influence your boss to lower the check.
3: <laughs> no. I cannot. My boss is a rooster.
2: So he's selfish and eccentric. That's.
3: All units, all units. An RV was reported matching the description. Vehicle parked at a rest stop off Route 46, Northbound,
6: past at 17. Anything else, unit? This is 1212, responding. An responding.
2: This is 1340, I'm five minutes out. I'll meet the responding units. Got you. Give me that. Hey, hey, I see you in there. Show me both your hands right now. I see you in there. Show me your hands.
4: Both hands, right
2: now. That's it. Slow,
1: slow, slow, slow. Slowly, both hands. Both fucking hands.
4: Detective Loki responds to the call about an RV matching the description of the one spotted in the neighborhood, and then they arrest the man inside—a man named Alex Jones. Yes, (laughs) that is his name. It's a conspiracy. (laughs) Played by Paul Dano. Jones' behavior initially is suspicious. He freaks out when he sees the police are approaching the RV at this parking lot next to a truck stop or wherever they are. And then he tries to drive away and ends up crashing the RV into a tree. Just an unbelievably bad attempt at an escape. (laughs) I wasn't sure if maybe it was an attempt at a suicide. I couldn't really tell what was going on. I think he just was freaking out. Because eventually... Eventually, eventually, when we find out the whole truth, you kind of realize that this guy is like really damaged. No kidding. (laughs) They think he's high initially on drugs. They think that's what's going on. His
5: reactions are so bizarre, and he's
4: non-communicative. Yeah, and I think that this movie features a lot of really strong performances, but you get these three unique ones at the center. You have the two leads- primarily yeah. Gyllenhaal and Jackman, and you can kind of compare and contrast what they get to do with these parts. Jackman gets to wear his heart on his sleeve the whole time. He's a raw nerve, constantly on the verge of tears, on the verge of exploding, hmm. shaking with emotion. And then you have Gyllenhaal, where it's more under the surface, building, 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 and then he finally lets out some yeah. rage. There's a couple more of explosions the end. with him. He's much more of an interior character with some explosions and just... And I would almost describe it as muted rage. And yeah. then Dano, of course, gets to play a weirdo, as always. I know there's
5: something much darker going on with this character, but, but there's times where this feels like a precursor to his Riddler performance.
4: Well, I don't know if you would say that this guy's darker than the Riddler who's a murderer. This guy is well, just I somebody just who's more, had bad at things at a certain point, to him.
5: Yeah, no, that's what I mean. By the end of this movie, you feel like this person is very much a victim. But I think in the first half, when you're not really sure what's going on with him... Yeah. And it does feel like maybe he was doing something nefarious. And then there's all all this stuff with the mazes. Right. You know, there's a puzzle element
4: to it. Now, since this was your first time seeing this movie, mm-hmm. did at any point, did you start to guess any of it? When did any of it start clicking? I'm assuming you noticed the maze connection earlier than the character, I would hope. Gyllenhaal takes forever to remember the maze necklace. Yeah, yeah. That, I'm kind of like, why is he taking so long to remember that? Right. Now, obviously, it's not all going to connect just because of that. The, uh, that would be impossible. But Yeah, yeah, I was going to say. What were you we? guessing like any of the steps in advance? I don't think so. I don't think I knew where it was going. I definitely don't think I did either the first time, but this is one of those movies where... If enough time goes by and you completely forget, yeah, you start watching it. And it was kind of fun watching it from that perspective this time because it had been probably, you know, a year or two. Mm-hmm. And I kind of forgot what all the twists were. I knew the final reveal. I kind of remember that. But, like, how you all got there and how all the things fit together, yeah. I kind of forgot all that stuff. So then watching it now to do the notes piecing that together right. slowly. It's sort of like you almost feel like you're smarter than you were the first time you saw it because yeah. you kind of are using your vague memory as like added intelligence being like, oh yeah, this, yeah. oh I got it.
5: <laughs> I mean, I was as sucked in as any mystery thriller that I've ever seen. Like I was going along beat by beat, totally engrossed. I cannot figure out where exactly this is heading.
4: Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Hall and Villeneuve, Had such a great time making Enemy, which was shot before Prisoners, that Villeneuve cast the actor in this film without an audition. Ultimately, Prisoners was released before Enemy, but Enemy is technically Villeneuve's first English-language film. I didn't realize that. Ryan Gosling was also evidently in the mix for Loki, but he and Villeneuve would end up working together in Blade Runner 2049. Detective Loki's tattoos... Freemason ring and facial tics were all Jake Gyllenhaal's ideas. The Freemason ring is very curious and it Hmm. definitely makes me wonder what the character is supposed to be. Because if you remember, Nick Nolte's character in U-Turn wore a similar type of ring. That's right. But obviously Oliver Stone probably had more of a conspiratorial feeling about the Freemasons. I don't know what the connection is to this character. I'm kind of curious as to what that means. I don't know. We actually just covered Hall in depth in Zodiac. In a strange coincidence, Detective Loki has Zodiac symbols hmm. tattooed on his right hand fingers: Leo, Scorpio, Aries, Virgo. I don't know. Sort of a weird choice and a weird connection to the Zodiac film. Just, uh,
5: very interested in astrology. <laughs> <laughs>
4: I don't remember much about seeing prisoners in the theater initially, but one of the things that did jump out to me were the tattoos. (laughs) It definitely made an impression. I was kind of confused by it.
5: Well, he's almost scary,
4: (laughs) Detective Loki. He's got kind of an intimidating look. Well, even something so random and seemingly small as adding the tattoos makes you imagine a whole backstory that may not mean anything, but- you come up with this whole idea that this guy must be such a genius that they put up with all of his odd eccentricities
5: Well, in the job. I think it's probably just that he works all the time and it seems like he's had some degree of success solving cases. Yeah, and I'm do thinking, reference that. Yeah, and I'm thinking a lot of cases are going
4: unsolved around here. <laughs> Case closed, right? We got the guy, the creepy guy in the RV. Ain't that always the way? Open and shut. Yeah. Well... Not so
5: fast. I think what's fun about this movie as it goes along, too, is Loki is definitely wrong multiple times, and they point that out. His boss points that out. <laughs> well,
4: it's a pretty weird and crazy case. I don't think anyone knew no, what they were I stumbling on here. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think that's sort of humanizing to his character. From the audience's perspective, especially if you're watching it on Netflix and are able to pause it, you can see that this is a two and a half hour oh, long yeah. movie, and right. we're only right at the start, so it seems like there's going to be a little bit more to it, especially since we haven't found those girls yet.
5: And that's the thing. I I love how it plays out as it goes along because I think that this all adds to this, like, boiling frustration for Loki.
4: For sure. You can definitely feel the pressure mounting on him, right? and he wears it. He has
5: a couple of explosions.
2: No, they weren't playing on your RV. No. (sighs) Okay, take a look at them again. Mm. You don't recognize these girls? I didn't see them. Maybe I sit down. What do you do in the RV? Answer my question. You sleep there. You sleep in there? You were sleeping out there mm. in the day? Why was the RV parked outside the house? Mm. I went for a drive. You went for a drive? You weren't driving. I know for a fact those girls were playing outside your RV. You weren't driving. It was parked. Was it a special day? Were you planning on taking two little girls? No. Have you done that before? No. Did you ask him to come inside? No. You asked him to come inside the RV and then you take him away? No. Did you put those girls somewhere? Yes, come on. Did you put those girls somewhere? Don't touch me. I know you put those girls somewhere. Mm. You hide him? No. How'd you hide him? Do you tie him up? Mm -hmm. Do you tie him up? Mm -hmm. Huh? Hey. 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 Look, I know you're a good guy, right? I know you're a decent guy.
4: During interrogation, Loki very quickly realizes that Alex Jones's diminished IQ prevents him from planning a kidnapping and then learns that his RV contains absolutely no forensic evidence of the missing girls. Just a little clarification. Of course someone with a diminished IQ would be capable of doing this. What that means is doing it in a way and then being able to hide it so thoroughly. Right, right, without leaving any sort of trail. Melissa Leo appears in the film as Holly Jones, Alex's aunt, who allows him to park his RV on her property. We find out early on that her husband walked out. She's playing older. Not that she's a 20-year-old ingenue, but she's definitely playing older in this movie. She wears... A wig. This was uh, definitely during a Melissa Leo era.
5: I would say she was having a bit of a moment in that little five-year window there. I think. Not saying it's over, but there was like a lot of hit. I mean, she won an Oscar during that time period, right?
4: Yeah, for oddly enough being in The Fighter. Yeah, that's right. Mentioned. (laughs) (laughs) She reminds me a lot of Jennifer Lawrence for some reason. Mm. I feel like they should play mother and daughter.
5: All right, let's see if we can get that lined up. There's something
4: about Melissa Leo's voice mm-hmm. that sounds similar to Jennifer Lawrence's voice. She does and have a distinct voice. They do kind of look alike yeah, in a way. Okay, I'm buying this. To play Holly Jones, Melissa Leo wore a gray wig and a foam rubber posterior prepared by costume designer Renee April in order to ground her character. Hmm.
5: Which you may ask, what does that mean, a foam rubber? What is it, posterior? <laughs> she, she needed
4: that ass. Yeah. She needed some more ass. <laughs> I was checking the ass because I read that factory. You were and trying I was to see thinking, if there was
5: evidence of foam rubber. What's the
4: story? I was yeah. very curious. I didn't notice anything strange, so I was thinking, well, Melissa Leo must be very skinny because mm-hmm. I did not get the sense that there was much of anything happening there. Leo also requested the prop's assistance to avoid cleaning her glasses after each day's shooting. After what initially felt like a breakthrough, it already feels like we're up against a brick wall, a dead end. Both sets of parents are understandably devastated, on edge, scared, and confused. Loki tries his best to keep them calm, but it's a tough ask, especially with Keller, who is, like I said, always a live wire on edge.
5: One thing that also stands out in the runtime of this movie, you're not jumping ahead a lot no they're cutting out obviously parts of the day when nothing is happening but it's mostly pretty contained and like you're staying day to day
4: yeah i think the whole time that they're missing is basically like a week yeah something like that
5: but then it carries all the way through the end of the movie they're very much timestamp things they let you know how much time has passed yeah and they're always including with the melissa leo stuff at the end like where she's saying 24 hours and then there's a
4: that pivotal to how the movie ends. This would undoubtedly be beyond the pale for anyone to endure, but Mm. factoring in what we've already seen and what we already know about Keller, it's a powder keg waiting to blow. Because, as you said, to have this happen to this guy because he thinks he's prepared for anything, but then the one thing that he's not able to prepare for happens. Mm -hmm. The signs are already apparent There's a certain amount of misunderstanding going on with Keller now about what's going on with the suspect, the rules and regulations. Everything seems like it's going to be a
5: problem. And it's definitely got to be something that messes with your mind. When you're in a situation like this, something happens that's bringing you to some level of acceptance and rationalization of what's happened. And maybe you feel like there's a key to a resolution
4: here. And now you're pulling the plug out. What? How can this be? Right. It's the frustrating thing because this movie does a pretty decent job of concocting a scenario where even when we want to hate Keller and think everything he's doing is wrong and stupid, when we really think about it, you can very easily slide into his shoes and think about the frustration and how even if he knows on some level I'm going to end up in jail for this, but... I have to do it because Mm -hmm. if I don't, my daughter will be dead. Yeah. And so he has to do all these crazy things that he does, at least in his mind. Right.
5: He's feeling like the legal system is failing him.
4: Yeah, and it's a moral quandary. I think most people comfortably feel like they would not be able to do it, but I think that a lot of people would end up being how Viola Davis and Terrence Howard are in Mm -hmm. the film, where they're not exactly leading the mob, the charge. but they're okay with it happening but they yeah, hope it they hope it accomplishes something. They want it to work and yeah. they're willing to let someone else do that dirty work.
5: But yeah, there's definitely some crossover between him and like I said the legal system is failing him versus what drives the Melissa Leo character, like she has this whole religious background and she feels like God has failed her and that very much is driving her
4: motivations. Loki running out of time with how long they can hold Alex. Runs down leads on some other local registered sex offenders and pedophiles, and this ends up being a side quest with some surprising results. Well, this is certainly the moment in the movie where you're like, What the fuck is I know. going on? Yeah, this is so unexpected now. Well, actually, and that so happens random. with a few times with this character. This just comes out of nowhere, and you don't even understand how it's going to connect anything, yeah. but. He goes around, he follows up on some local registered sex offenders. Surprise, surprise, one of them is a priest. Mm-hmm. The priest is an alcoholic. Hidden in the basement of Priest Patrick Dunn, Loki finds a forgotten corpse tied to a
5: chair. By the way, after noticing that the uh, steps to the basement, suspiciously, not there.
4: Well, I was wondering if that was related to the corpse or if that was just some design quirk of old the house. They never finished the house. Well, I think there might be some houses that have stuff like wow. that. But maybe not. I don't know.
5: It feels to me like there would have been steps at
4: some point. Well, there may also be an entry point from outside That's or true. I right. don't know. Yeah. You would think, probably, but who knows. But anyway, around the corpse's neck is a necklace with an intricate maze design. The priest admits to killing the man, who he claims not to have known at all, after the man came to him for a confession and told Dunn that he murdered 16 children for his own personal, quote, war on God, unquote. Hmm. Dunn tells Loki that the man was bragging about it. So this is a weird curveball. Yeah, yeah. Thrown in the midst of a huge manhunt for two missing girls where we're seeing footage of dragging bodies of water. We're seeing footage of chains of people in orange vests hand-in-hand walking with dogs through the woods. We're doing everything that you do But Mm -hmm. now this guy that we've been introduced to as the lead investigator on the case is suddenly pulled into something that feels unrelated. And again, I know I keep saying the same phrases, but the movie, again, does a really good job of presenting something that in your heart of hearts Mm -hmm. you have to know is related. Right? Because why else is in in the movie? Yet you kind of don't really see how it could be so you compartmentalize it and kind of move it to the side for a while. And it is a long movie. Yeah. By the
5: time you get to the end of this, this is so far in your rear view. But that's also a
4: clue, though. Yeah, because I know. Why in a two and a half hour right. long movie, if they could cut this out, they would. Yeah. But obviously it's important. Mm-hmm. The movie is so thorough and twisty and exciting and thrilling that you kind of forget some of this stuff. Definitely. And how it all is going to fit together is cool.
5: That's why it's fun to do a podcast on it, so you can revisit this stuff. I know.
4: That's really the whole point of the show. Exactly. Let's, let's just be able to talk about
5: stuff we think is cool. There have <laughs> been movies that we've done for the show that I liked, I watched the movie, and then by the time we were done recording an episode on it, I liked it even
4: more. Well, that's all we need to say. Yeah. Hopefully that applies to some of our listeners as well. Yeah. Hopefully they like some of these movies even more. hmm <laughs> Then we've done something. Yeah.
5: I definitely think people feel that way about that one episode of Salute Your Shorts that we did.
4: Or Wish Upon a Star. (laughs) With their hands tied, the police must release Alex to the custody of his Aunt Holly. Though Loki isn't thrilled about it, there's nothing he can do. After Keller receives word that Alex is to be released, he speeds to the police station and assaults Alex outside in the parking lot. While Keller's right in his face, Alex whispers... They didn't cry till I left them, sending Keller into an even bigger frenzy. But, of course, no one else hears Alex, and Mm -hmm. Loki is ultimately unable to prove what Keller says he heard. So it means nothing.
5: He's got that Molder from X-Files syndrome. Every time he sees a (laughs) spaceship,
4: Scully was just knocked out right before that happens. Do you think that... Now, with this whistleblower seemingly confirming the existence of aliens, that the X-Files needs one more comeback. I
5: think think so. I think we need one more run where they're working that into the
4: storyline. Please.
5: Yeah. And JFK stuff.
4: At the Dover house, it remains a tough scene, especially after Loki calls and tells Keller that they can't waste any more time on Alex Jones. Grace is sobbing nonstop, questioning not only the disappearance in general, but specifically, how could this happen in Keller Dover's house? How could you let this happen? Isn't he supposed to be keeping them all safe? Wasn't he supposed to be ready for anything? Yeah. Why have we been putting all that shit in the basement, you (laughs) fucking idiot? (laughs) Yeah, Grace Dover is looking at her husband in a completely different light now. She's in a lot of pain and probably doesn't fully understand what she's doing, but she's inadvertently adding fuel to a fire that will be burning Uh, out of control before too
5: long. (laughs) Well, she certainly becomes a lot more subdued as the movie goes on, as we see those pill bottles next to the bed. (laughs) Yeah, they start piling up. Yeah. You have no dick. (laughs) (laughs) No dick at all. That is the way it seems. (laughs) She's like, I'm glad that we could have been putting this money in a Vanguard, but we bought 300 cans of
4: Campbell's soup in response to what Keller believes is mismanagement by the police he stakes out the home of Holly Jones he sits in his truck until dark and then Mm -hmm. observes Alex bring a dog outside
5: yeah I did feel like this was an aggressive move not knowing all of the moves that were going to follow
4: oh you thought this was aggressive yeah yeah
5: (laughs) I was like man I cannot believe he's doing this and then oh uh, once you start going down the rabbit hole it, it just keeps going
4: Two pretty big red flags here, though. Mm -hmm. For a few seconds, Alex appears to torture the little dog, lifting it up off of the ground by its leash. I gotta tell you, I did not like that. Hanging by the neck. Not for me. Well, I think that the movie is assuming that most people know that torturing animals is a sign of a serial killer, so that's supposed to plant that seed, that the audience now Mm -hmm. is now even more in Keller's shoes, like we're seeing this happen. But then... The second red flag is that Alex starts to sing the Jingle Bells Batman Smells version of Jingle Bells, the very same song Keller had observed his daughter and her friend singing shortly before they disappeared. All right, look, I get why you'd make that connection,
5: but it is a good song.
4: <laughs> In all fairness. It is a catchy song. <laughs> feel free to make your own mm-hmm. Riddler jokes as needed. That's right. The Riddler singing Batman Smells at gunpoint, Keller abducts Alex. In the morning, Keller retrieves Franklin, but doesn't tell him what's going on or where they're going. The two men travel to an empty, rundown building that Keller owns, and Franklin discovers the shocking truth. Keller's got Alex chained to a radiator in a bathroom. Mm. And we have now crossed some lines. <laughs> yeah. The movie's going in a completely unexpected direction because yeah. now it's forcing the audience into a morality question that maybe some people weren't aware of. Right. What do you think about this? This is a big And it's this move
5: ticking time bomb where, and it even happens after the assault in the parking lot because the police are there and they're like, all right, we're going to let you go. <laughs> you should not have done this. Stay away, but we're going to let you go because we understand the extreme feelings from the situation you're in. And we have that same thing as viewers, where it's like we do sort of understand and start justifying some of these things. But now we're like on this timeline where the more it goes on, the less forgivable this stuff seems.
4: Yeah, it keeps getting crazier and crazier, for sure.
5: Because you're almost like, if he pulls out and lets him go now, we are still there, I think. We're still
4: okay. Well, I think that the movie actually ends up belonging to a little subgenre of films that are... I guess, in-your-face confrontational reality about what vigilanteism mm-hmm. actually looks like because a lot of the times it's glamorized. Oh, yeah. Whether it's Batman or something like that. Wolverine. But the reality is it's not all fun and games, easily wrapped up, contained stories that are solvable, simple, knowable. Mm-hmm. You think you know the facts of this case. Yep. He thinks he knows what's going on, but he can't possibly know.
5: Guys, how many times did Batman get it wrong? Beat up some poor, innocent dude?
4: <laughs> you don't see that in the movies. Even movies that are a little bit more grindhousey, like Death Wish or oh, something yeah. like that. Revenge movies. Where they more or less like revel in the revenge of the vigilante side. They even don't go this full route of forcing the audience... To decide because in those movies it's very black and white. Yes. They want you to know that the criminals are terrible. But this time we're not really sure. Even if he did commit a crime, this man is clearly mentally mentally diminished. There's something wrong with him. It can't possibly feel like justice, but but it's not a matter of revenge. The movie is very smart. This is not revenge. He thinks that there is a deadline that his daughter and her friend could still possibly be alive. Yeah. And time is running out. That is what's going on. This is not retribution because there are times where he clearly wants to stop himself. Mm -hmm. It's not about getting anger out. Right. He thinks that he has to do this to force this guy to tell him where his daughter is is essentially what happens.
5: The timeline and the countdown is such a big part of this because he's working on a timeline of when he thinks he's going to give up hope. I yes. can't remember what exactly the day is. I don't know if it was day six or whatever, but there's some statistic.
4: I think after a week.
5: Yeah. There is this countdown kind of hanging over everyone's heads, including Loki's, you figure out at a certain point, because he has a very emotional reaction to when Dover brings it up to him.
4: Yeah. And because sort of, he knows. Yeah. He knows how hopeless it gets. By every right. hour that goes by, it, it gets less and less likely. And yeah, after 48 hours is the first yeah. huge fall off. But that wouldn't be enough for a movie, so no. then you make it the next fall off in yeah, seven days. Yeah. Right,
5: but that's the thing. It just keeps ratcheting up as, like, they're losing time.
6: Oh, my God. What did you do? Hello, what are you the hell? I heard
1: singing the same song they were singing on Thanksgiving, I swear to God, Franklin the same fucking song, and I told you what he said in the parking lot. Then we take him to the police. No, no, no. Police don't do shit. He'll just clam up and act crazy like he did last time. Someone has to make him talk. Someone.
6: Hey, man, this, this ain't right. I mean, what, what if you're wrong?
1: I'm not wrong. Don't,
6: don't if you're wrong. What if, what if you only heard what you wanted to hear? What, what if? Man, I want my daughter back as much as you do,
1: but it ain't right. Frank! We heard him until he talks or they're going to die. No. No. We heard him until he talks or they're going to die. That's the choice. That's the choice you have to make. I've made my choice. I know what I heard. He's not a person anymore. No, he stopped being a person when he took our daughters. I need your help. This is your last chance. I know you're scared. And I know you want to go home. don't. I don't want to hurt you. I don't. I'm gonna take the tape off. I don't want
0: you to tell me how you are. Hey.
4: Obviously, Franklin doesn't know what to do or how to react. In the face of another's unhinged passion, you can't help but feel impotent for insisting upon doing the right thing. How weak and pathetic does Franklin seem? And yet, his reaction is completely normal and completely sane and Mm -hmm. real. And yet, in the face of how life or death this is to Keller... He ends up feeling inadequate, ineffectual, less than a man for not feeling the same way. But he's even saying, I would kill, I would die for my daughter, but we don't know. You don't know for sure. Like, we can't do this. This isn't right. You know, he's saying very logical things, but the movie does a fantastic job of crafting this scenario where you can, at the very least, understand all sides, even if you would never have gone to this level. You get that desperation at a certain point. Yep, because it's one thing as horrible as this is. It's one thing for somebody's child to be killed, but it's a whole other thing oh. for it to happen slowly. It's haunting. And so in his head, it's almost as if it's a video game where there's a meter of something exactly. running that's what out. I mean, yeah. Even though it's not really like that, I know. but that's how it se- it ends up being in his head. So he starts getting more and more desperate. The frustration of futility is palpable until the moment when Keller decided to take the law into his own hands, it was a situation where technically nobody was actually wrong, but nothing was right, other than the criminal who mm-hmm. abducted the girls. It's not like the police did anything wrong. They found the guy. They did everything by the book. They searched. They they looked for evidence. And by the letter of the law, they have nothing to yeah. hold this guy. There's Is nothing there they nothing,
5: can do. And I, I guess they sort of caused this, but... Could they not have held him for longer just off of like evading arrest? He did try to drive off. I don't know. Not really. It's too weak.
4: No, I don't think there'd really be much to keep that going. There'd be some constitutional rights violated. Loki, in his research, finds the story of a missing boy from 26 years prior taken from the house where the RV was parked before Anna and Joy vanished. The little boy's name was Barry. Obviously the viewer is going to make the connection hmm. that Barry was abducted by the same person who took the girls and that they're working out of this area and it's somehow all tied together.
5: That is quite a thing.
4: But as this woman tells this story and she even offers her own theory about what happened to her son and it's very heartbreaking, but of course the viewer is going to immediately think of the dead man in the priest's basement who made all of these wild claims. But you're thinking, how do I tie this I know. to the missing girls because this guy was already dead. When I say corpse in a basement, it wasn't a fresh corpse. It was long <laughs> forgotten. Yeah, yeah. There wasn't probably even a smell anymore. Yeah, it's going it to be hard to desiccated um, find the connective tissue there. At this point in time, no other progress has been made into the corpse. The priest has his story, and that's sort of where we're at with it. So you kind of think of that, and you're like, OK, logically they introduce you to this corpse they introduce you to this missing boy barry the claim of the priest this has to somehow be connected i know i need like a board that i can start posting stuff up on with franklin as a semi-unwilling accomplice keller tortures alex in the abandoned apartment building in order to try and extract any information regarding anna and joy this is the brutal centerpiece of the movie it's the iconic most memorable scenes for sure the torture stuff is wild right and it goes further than these movies normally would i think agree i think a lot of your typical police procedurals which are usually nowhere near as good as this they're not getting that graphic with some of this shit the first time it was submitted to the mpaa it received an nc-17 rating Due to its tone and subject matter, the film's torture scenes were later cut by a couple of frames, along with scenes suggesting pedophilia, and it then received the R rating. I don't want to dwell on the pedophilia thing for long, but that seems inherent. Like You don't even need to mention that part of it, because it's always kind of a part of a child abduction thing. I know. It's just grim. Yeah. This movie never mentions it, but it's kind of like the original Nightmare on Elm Street where it's conspicuous by its absence Mm. because they cut out the pedophilia stuff in the original Freddy Krueger. You can kind of tell that it should be here, but it isn't. Not that I want it to be. Right,
5: but it's just overhanging. Yeah,
4: it seems obvious. According to the writer Guzikowski, the original cut of the film was actually around three hours. I'd love to know what else was... part of it i haven't seen any deleted scenes i'm not sure if they're on the blu-ray or not
1: you said they cried when you left look you said they cried when you left them you said they cried when you left them (laughs) now tell me where is he Hmm? hmm tell me where they are Oh man, I'll stop. I will stop as soon as you tell me. (coughs) Just... Just tell me where they are. Why won't you tell me? Huh? nose. I know you know. Why aren't you fucking telling me? Why? Fine. Get him up. Get him up. Get up. Get up. Get him. Up. Get up. Get up. Get up. Get up. Thomas. You know what I'm gonna use this Fine. You're doing this to yourself. Just tell us. Tell me.
0: Tell me!
4: candlelight vigil for the missing girls Franklin nearly collapses under the weight of what he just witnessed because he's just coming back from the torture slash was kind of a part of you have to say if you're not intervening then you're complicit
5: definitely it is a weird thing to show up to this emotional event that's meant to be positive and you're coming to the Yeah, from a I think like
4: oftentimes that. with those candlelight vigils, it's more for the neighborhood to feel yeah, good agreed. rather than. Like they're
5: doing, everyone feels helpless. So you're like, it's like yeah. you're doing
4: something. I suppose it can provide comfort to the aggrieved families sure. as well, but it's more mostly symbolic. However, and this is something that I made a note of Loki sees a suspicious man approach the makeshift roadside memorial and creepily fondle a teddy bear. Hmm. When Loki makes a move to approach, the man flees. So I wrote, note to self, if I'm ever at one of these candlelight vigils...
5: You would be a suspect.
4: Probably. <laughs> but watch the cops yeah. and see who they're looking at. Right. Because it seems to be a thing in movies, at least, where they're always paying attention to these candlelight vigils. Gone Girl was the kind of in yeah, same I know. way. Yep. Because a lot of times it does attract people who want to involve themselves for some reason and that is suspicious yeah because there's really no reason to involve yourself in any kind of a weird way
5: now pretty good casting in this movie paul dano definitely a little bit of history playing some oddball characters this guy
4: i don't know this actor's name david das i'm not sure how to pronounce it
5: definitely got a look
4: yeah, he's been around forever. He was yeah. in The Dark Knight, even. Right. He always plays this guy. Mm-hmm. Him and Dano, really, in a creep-off.
5: Yeah, that, They exactly. both play yeah. these guys right.
4: all the time. David Das Dasmalshian, he's playing a guy named Bob Taylor, although we won't know his name till much later. I gotta be honest with you, if I see... The lead detective, who half of the people at this vigil would recognize probably by now because mm-hmm. of the news and whatnot. Oh, yeah, and he's been around the neighborhood. You asking see questions. this guy take off after someone yeah. at this vigil. I feel like a much bigger scene is transpiring. Dude, I know. I feel like everyone the in the neighborhood is trying to chase him. Everyone knows what happened. All of a sudden, there's a cop chasing a guy. I, know. I don't know. I think people are going to start reacting to it a little more than they do in the movie. Agreed. <laughs> Ultimately, this suspect is able to get away. In response, Loki releases a very, very, very accurate (laughs) police sketch. I've never seen a police sketch this accurate. (laughs) It's like somebody just traced over this guy's headshot.
5: It was dark outside. The guy's wearing, like, a hood. (laughs) I know. This is nuts. This is excellent police work. (laughs) It's the most
4: accurate police sketch I've ever seen. So that gets released to the media. However, Keller... Takes all of this in stride. Now that there's a new suspect. He doesn't stop yeah. for a second. Well, he thinks he knows. Assuming that Alex and this new suspect were working together, he and Franklin continue with their clandestine dirty work. Yeah.
5: I think you have to keep going back to the moment in the police station parking lot where only he hears... Yeah. That line. Yeah, that definitely pushes him over the edge. That's his evidence that this is the guy and there's more to get out of this guy. And he's
4: the only one who knows. Yeah, the movie, I say it again, the movie does a fantastic job of creating a scenario Mm -hmm. where you can start to justify this because you're so panicked about your daughter. He will literally do anything, and he knows that this is wrong. Oh, yeah. They've made a complicated enough guy where he's not psycho, he's not a sociopath, Like I said, he's not even doing this for revenge at a certain point. Maybe punching him a few times felt good at first, but he gets to a point where there's no joy in it anymore. He's just doing it because he feels like there's no other choice. He has to do it, and it's tough because it's so fucked up at a certain point. Yeah, I know. But then when you come back to what the character must be thinking, I can't say you can justify it fully, but you can't fully condemn it either. Like You kind of get it.
5: Mm, Yeah. He just feels like he has no other choice. This is the only
4: way he's going to save his daughter's life. And the only way I can explain it is, and as fucked up as it sounds, and I'm not saying everyone would agree with this, but the way I can come to that conclusion of not fully condemning him is because I know, based on seeing the character, that at the end of all of this, his daughter surviving is all that matters, Mm -hmm. and he doesn't care if he ends up having to go to jail himself or live with the guilt of what he's done. He'll take all of that on. He'll take right. on whatever he has to take on from this. Yep. It's not as if he thinks I'm justified in doing this, so I'm not going to go to jail later. Like I don't think that cro- that's not part of it. He doesn't think he's going to get away with this forever. He knows that once he does this, his time is limited. Oh yeah. He's just trying to save his daughter's life, and that's it. There's no I'm going to get away with this at the no, end of no. it. All of it is taking its toll, especially on Franklin, who seems very close to cracking. And then, of course, he does. Mm-hmm. He tells Nancy, his wife. Oh, boy. Makes sense that Viola Davis, of course, is going to have a bigger part than what it seems like for the first hour. Yeah. She's yeah. to get back into the mix a little well, bit more here.
5: Terrence Howard, definitely a more understated performance from him.
4: Together. She and Franklin knock on Keller's front door. It it is kind of funny because, like, Franklin, like, can't even say anything. And he's, like, silently crying behind her. And it is sort of like, oh, shit, we're busted. (laughs) Mom's here now. Yeah, Yeah, like, Keller looks over at Franklin. He's like, you told her. Yeah. (laughs) I couldn't help it. (laughs) But it's not like that at all. In fact, Nancy is a little bit more gung-ho than her husband. Nancy wants to see Alex for herself. And what choice does Keller have than to just give in at this point? Well, let's bring another one in But I think Keller recognizes right away that maybe she's a little bit more of an ally. All of a sudden, it's growing into a conspiracy. Alex's face is shocking now because we didn't quite see the end result. But now when Nancy shows up- This is hard to watch. His face is a red, puffy ruin. His eyes are swollen shut. And you can't help but feel sympathetic for this guy. I know. Even- if you're still questioning whether or not he had anything to do with the girl's disappearance because it's just so horrifying. You're just seeing the horrors of what's actually been going on here. Now, if this was a confirmed mentally capable pedophile, I don't know that I would actually feel sympathy, but it's a movie, so it's not a real person anyway, and second of all... We know that this is a guy who doesn't know what's going on. And he has no clue what's happening to him.
5: I will say the way you feel in the movie at this point, once the scene at the vigil happens, I think... Most viewers are
4: 100 percent that Alex is not the guy. <laughs> well, yeah, it's throwing a curveball, yeah, yeah, just in case like 50 to 75 so, percent of your audience was on board for this. Exactly. Like, so oh, now he needed you're to do it. He needed to do it. That, now yep. you're like, and that's intentional. Whoa!
5: Now you're seeing this guy thinking that he's not the guy, and it's like,
4: oh shit. Obviously, the way that this new suspect, the man who we will now later know is Bob Taylor, the way he's acting is so suspicious that. It's going to completely swing the audience's perspective. Right. But we don't know this man. We still are confused about the dead guy in the priest's basement. We're confused. Why did you introduce Barry? This war on God? What What is going on? There's a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot of moving pieces. Mm-hmm. If you're pausing it on Netflix, you're seeing there's still a lot of runtime left. Yes. What's going on? Exactly? And that's the one thing, just as a guy who knows movies, that it's almost a little bit of a spoiler that Bob Taylor can't be it. At this point, I feel like you know no matter what it is, it's not going to be simple. Right, it can't exactly. It's simple yeah. now. <laughs> yeah. There's too many things involved. Nancy tearfully begs for Alex's help in finding her daughter Joy, but no answers are forthcoming. He asks her for help, and she unties him. But when Alex hears Keller's voice booming from another room, he freaks out and tries to escape by breaking the bathroom window. Mm hmm briefly utilizing a shard of glass as a weapon before Keller can restrain him again. So even his escape attempt feels like a misunderstanding because he was not going to freak out, and then he hears Keller's voice booming, and then he freaks out. Uh huh. So he just doesn't know what's going on. He's so scared and confused. Please help.
0: And my
3: little girl <laughs> got a
2: picture. Is my baby? Yes, it... Her name is Joy, and um, this is. That I don't know too, because she's afraid to sleep by herself. Please tell me where my little girl is. Please tell me where my little girl is.
0: Oh,
4: After the incident with Nancy and the broken window, there's yet another shift, another level Mm -hmm. to drop down to because Keller is getting more and more desperate as time is passing. His humanity starts slipping away. There are nearly an infinite amount of films and TV shows and plays and novels and everything else where one character asks another character Mm -hmm. if they've lost their mind. Yeah. When Franklin asks this very question to Keller after seeing the new torture chamber he's constructed in that little apartment bathroom, you truly feel that question in your soul. Definitely. Have you lost your mind? Mm -hmm. Because this is a level now that seems sadistic and sick. Where do you even come up with this plan? And look, the movie is complicated, and I
5: think you have to look at it as a whole, and you will have swings and emotions and how you react to things at this point in the movie through the interactions at the liquor store I- I'm very much looking at this character Dover as a villain
4: and that's where I've gotten to I never go full villain but I don't relate to some of this shit yeah it gets too out of control because you start to fuck up any potential yep of being normal ever again totally you're ruining Let's say, okay, I know this is dark and fucked up, but this is the way you almost have to look at it, at least from an outsider. Yeah, yeah. If you were involved, you probably wouldn't think this dark and cold, but let's start thinking about it percentages. What's the percentage at this point that your daughter's going to make it home alive and fine and you're ever going to be normal again? Even if it's 5% yep. or 1%, you're clinging to you're that You're ruining percent. that now. <laughs> that 1% means nothing now oh, yeah, to the rest yeah. of your family because you've now fucked it up so bad. So I now know. even if she is okay, you're going to jail, yeah, maybe for right. the rest of your life You've at definitely this point. caused more problems for the household. You've done something completely disturbing that hopefully your wife will keep from your children that they won't even know about the no details. No kidding. They'll know that you did something bad, but hopefully they won't know all the horrible details. Mm-hmm. Because, folks, what we're talking about here is really fucked up. No kidding. Keller... Brings Nancy and Franklin back to the empty apartment building and shows them how he's imprisoning Alex now. No light, no sunlight, a wooden box constructed around the little bathroom's shower slash tub, a cell barely large enough for Alex to even sit down, but he's trapped in there with the shower, which still works, and they can control it from the outside, either scalding hot or freezing cold. Oof. So they've got him in this little box that Keller builds because he's a carpenter where he can barely even move in it, and then they just spray him with scalding hot water. Yeah. Thankfully, there's a certain point in the film where we never have to actually look at Alex again because I feel like it would have been too horrible. I know.
5: (laughs) Yeah, this is awful. But I say all that about the Keller Dover character, and it's not the last time that I'll change the way I feel about him in the movie. Because, you know, I'm rooting for him again at a certain point. During this section of the film, though, oof, just seems like a monster.
4: I was rooting for something very specific to happen, and it does. Okay. But it's a rough journey to get there. Yeah, yeah.
2: (laughs) What is it? What happened?
1: Get Franklin. I need to show you something. Will he say anything new? He will soon, you'll see. No, I get to. There's probably enough room to sit down inside. The shower still works, but we control it from out here. I rig the water eater, so it either comes out scalding or freezing. And uh, we talked him through this. It's to remind us. In case we start feeling sorry for him. Oh my God. You can't hurt him anymore without killing him, so this is the only way. Have you lost your mind, Killer? Do you have a better idea, Franklin? Do you? Go ahead, let him out if you want. I'm not going to stop you. If that's what you really want, you go ahead. You think someone's looking out for our girls the way you're looking out for him? I hope. It's been five days now, man. We're running out of time. You don't even know it's him. Yeah, I do. No, you don't. I do. I know you, you don't.
6: Look, I want my baby back. As much as you, Miss Anna. And despite what you think about me, I would die for my daughter. But this ain't right. This has to stop.
1: Well, then you better get to work. Let's start with that wall there.
4: Keller leaves it up to Franklin, who, in the end, listens to his wife and does not free Alex. So there is a moment where Keller says, if you want to free him, I'm not going to stop you, and walks away, and Franklin doesn't do it. Mm -hmm. It should be noted that by this point, Aunt Holly has told the police that Alex is missing too. Loki seems to initially chalk it up to a suspect fleeing the area, but... Later on, Keller's behavior will make him a little more suspicious.
5: Melissa Leo brings a weird calmness to her performance throughout the movie. Doesn't feel like she's worried enough about Alex? Uh, She's not making that big of a deal about it.
4: Well, I think she's gotten 20 whatever years worth of yeah. this guy doesn't. He can't even talk. I know. If that's what you mean. Yeah. If you mean she's like literally worried about him as in like she cares about him and loves him, I don't think that she does. No. Okay. Like if he was dead somewhere, I don't, I don't think she would okay. care. Yeah. She doesn't seem even broken up about her missing husband. Right. True. And then when we find out the truth about these people, I, I don't know that they have normal human emotions well, definitely, anymore. Definitely.
5: <laughs> but I guess even if you wanted to pretend, you should probably be freaking out to the police a little bit more. Even if her cover story is like, okay, I'm just going to go along with the fact that he's fled.
4: Even though that really doesn't make sense based on what we know about him. Well, maybe she legitimately thinks that that's what happened. Yeah, I guess she that's true. She was there whenever he is accosted in the parking lot. She probably thinks he was just freaked well, out that's true. Off. Yeah. All right. But then this fucking psychopath, this new suspect who emerged at the candlelight vigil, sneaks into both the Birch and Dover houses.
5: Which is very unsettling because it's done in a way that we the viewer sees what's happening right and it's that thing where there's people in the house in both situations right the other sister is like taking a bath or something
4: yeah dude that is so horrifying to me this new suspect is nearly spotted by grace who thinks that anna has returned but she's fucked up on the pills she calls loki who spots grace's prescription bottles then gets a look at the nutty survivalist basement Complete with bags of lie, including an open one. Hmm. And then also learns that Keller has been spending his nights away from home, clearly lying to Grace about what he's actually doing. Yeah, she's like, he's been with you guys, right? Well, this is a unique situation because a lot of times I think in similarly constructed situations in different stories, the idea would be to put the suspicion on to Keller, not just in Loki's viewpoint but the audience as well Mm -hmm. but because of the way this movie is we know that it's definitely not Keller right so there's really no suspicion shifting over to him now except within the characters we as the audience understand like oh Loki's seeing this and we're worried that it's going to change his search tactics because ultimately I think most of the audience on some level is still worried about the girls The whole time. Yes, yes. So we're thinking, don't be distracted. We know this guy's a lunatic, but it's not him. Don't worry. Yeah, I know. (laughs) But the bags of lie are definitely a little weird and suspicious, right? Since he's a cop, Loki understands something's up. He then tails Keller to the empty apartment building. Mm -hmm. Keller parks in an adjacent liquor store parking lot, and then an overeager garbage truck blows Loki's cover. Yeah, he gets made. So Keller sees that Loki's there before he walks all the way over to the building. He stops himself, goes back to the liquor store, and buys a bottle. In the meantime, the rain changes to snow. I got to tell you one thing about Keller. Very quick on his feet. Comes up with some
5: great stories, great cover stories. That seem believable, yeah. Yeah.
4: Well, you pointed out the rain changing to snow, this whole weather sequence. Oh, I love this part. It not only looks cool and looks very believable, and even though they're in Georgia, it does look reminiscent of Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. I know that we're in western Pennsylvania, but it's kind of the same thing, I guess. Definitely the rain. Not only does it look awesome, but it's a very poignant thing, because even though technically the weather changing doesn't actually affect time at all, but it at least signifies that time is passing yes it's a very specific visual cue that not only is the weather changing but it's different from when they left yeah and that is psychological right even if it had snowed the night after they left that still hits mm-hmm. even if it, but it, now that it's been a few days and now all of a sudden it's snowing the weather's changing it's yeah. gonna look different that means time is passing they're still not back I know. it's day six
5: now I love the uh, sequence between these two in the car.
4: Yeah, it's a pretty cool scene. And they're both on their toes. They both have things to say. They're both justified, even though we know that Keller has the big secret and he is actually doing something terrible. But his anger is still justified, though. Yeah. We understand well, that his emotions can still be justified, even though he's done something terrible that he should not have done.
5: And it's definitely like heating up. And I don't know this movie well enough to quote it at this point, but I just love the part where Dover is like, it's been a week, and Detective Loki is like, not yet. He knows. Yeah, I mean, that really was revealing to me.
2: Why are you following me? Get in the car.
1: Why are you following me?
2: Where are you going just now?
1: Part of the liquor store. I have a bottle of liquor. You're the shit hot detective.
2: Work it out. I actually remember before that. You were uh, walking in the opposite direction. Across the parking lot. Towards Camp Ella Street.
1: I haven't had a drink in nine and a half years. I figured if I walked around the parking lot for a while, by the time they opened, I'd stop wanting it that bad. And then, uh then I saw you. Sort of helped me make up my mind.
2: There's a bag of lye in your basement. It's half empty. Your wife thinks you've been helping us, and... We both know that's not true.
1: I used the lie to bury our dog last year. And helping the cops sounds better than I've been driving aimlessly in my truck because I don't know what the fuck else to do. Is that what we were doing last Saturday night? Probably. my suspect?
2: No, no, I'm only asking. I'm only asking because you assaulted a man who's now missing.
1: I heard about that. What happened? I thought you had him under surveillance.
2: I'm I'm, I'm gonna assume that you're asking me because you have no idea. No, I didn't think it was
1: something I could get away with.
2: It's not.
1: Yeah, well, it couldn't be that he skipped down because the asshole was guilty. It all couldn't be that, right? Because that would mean to be your fault, right?
4: Mr. Dover.
2: Mr. Dover. What? You need to take care of yourself and your wife. That's the the best thing you can do right now. That little girl is going to need you when she comes home. Kids gone for more than a week, have half as good a
1: chance of being found. And after a month, almost none are not alive, all right? So forgive me for doing everything I can. You no know one, it hasn't been a fucking week. You're right, day it hasn't fucking been a week. six. Day six. And every day, she's wondering why I'm not there to fucking rescue her. You understand that? Right. Me. Not you. Not you. But me. Every day. All right. So forgive me for not going home to have a good night's rest.
2: Now why didn't you look for my fucking daughter? Motherfucking. than fucking... Hey. 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 Don't hey, follow hey, me. Hey. Hey. Mr. Dolph. Mr. Dolph. I don't think I'm going to
4: get behind the wheel after you've been drinking, do you? I'm going to walk. You look for my daughter. At about an hour and 25 minutes into the movie, Detective Loki finds an article about the death of Keller's father, William Dover. The article reads as follows, headline, Greaterford Guard Commits Suicide in Home, article, A Pennsylvania State Correction Officer Was Found Dead Monday Morning in His Conyers' Apartment, apparently of a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head, the police reported. The correction officer, William Dover, 46 years old, was found by his wife, Mary, and his teenage son in their apartment at 234 Campello Street. No suicide note was found, the police said. Officials at Greaterford Prison, where Mr. Dover had worked for the past 14 years, declined to comment.
5: Now, Loki remembers from... It actually does come up in their
4: conversation where... He says, why were you walking towards Campello Street Right. turns yeah. back? He understands now where he was going. Yeah. That's why he knows where the building is later when he goes there. But
5: this is another one of those details where it's as the movie goes on with Keller's character that you just keep getting these dark nuggets, and you're like, man, I just feel like there's a lot of darkness with this guy. Even the whole, like, haven't been drinking for however many years.
4: Right. Yeah, I think that you're supposed to just get little pieces. You never yeah. get the full... Picture the full puzzle. You don't know at all, but here and there, You're like, adding Oof. this and that and this and this that. This is a uh, you complicated dude. It. Yeah. The movie has really damaged people trying in vain to outrun their own trauma. Mm-hmm. But what happens when the world seems like it's out to get you, which is what Keller obviously believes, and then it actually does? Right. <laughs> According to screenwriter Aaron Guzikowski, I'm sure I've pronounced that last name differently (laughs) every single time I've said it. That's me with the director, and I love that director. Detective Loki grew up in a boy's home and didn't really have a family. He's a prisoner of his own past with his own demons. And I would add, parenthetically, just like (laughs) Keller. Yeah. To prepare for the role, Gyllenhaal watched 100 hours of police interrogation footage. And then we see the shower torture. It is especially awful and not pleasant, even though it's not particularly graphic. You don't really see anything other than some smoke coming out of well, those box. Well, you hear some screams. Yeah. Keller seems like he's on the verge of completely losing it.
5: Yeah. You keep feeling like he's going to reach this point of just being defeated and is like, I- I'm not going to get anything out of this dude. But then when
4: he's just about to give up, mm-hmm. Alex starts saying other weird stuff. Yep. The first thing he says, which is haunting, I'm not Alex. Yeah. Now, this is significant just because he's barely said anything. I know. He doesn't really say a lot. So any words seem different and unique, and then you can go one step further and add important to that. Right. And then you're like, okay, well, obviously, that means something. I waited, and he never came, he also says. Mm-hmm. Loki eventually finds... apartment building and starts snooping around keller maintains that he just comes there to drink loki gets a little bit of a tour but when he's close to where keller is keeping alex his cell phone rings the police sketch of the creep from the candlelight vigil has finally paid off we've got a license plate the whole story of even how they track bob taylor is weird there's that girl at the department store it's like a discount department store She says that she recognizes this guy as a customer that comes in and buys children's clothes. Oof.
5: Very damning. Yikes. (laughs) That is weird. really a quality you would like people to know about you, I don't think.
4: (laughs) Good lord. Yeah. Imagine somebody tells you that they saw me buying (laughs) children's clothes at the mall. Just like a known thing by the cashier. (laughs) Yeah, he's in here so frequently. Yeah. (laughs) Oh God! It is uh, awful. Loki tracks down the suspect Bob Taylor at his house, and what a house it is! Yeah, completely normal and not weird at all. (laughs) Not a weird house at all. It's very detailed the movie because it looks like a
5: decent, nice suburban house from the road, and as you get closer, you can kind of tell that like the door is kind of dirty. Like yeah, it looks semi. Something's off.
4: Abandoned. Yeah. It makes you think of houses in your own neighborhood that right. seem normal, but you're not sure who lives there. <laughs> I literally
5: live next to an abandoned house.
4: Strange things going yeah. on. Well, yeah, there's definitely been some weird stuff at that house. Definitely. For sure. Bob acts weird and suspicious as soon as he opens the door. Right away. hmm <laughs> Yeah. He also says that he doesn't have children, but then he's confronted with the fact that he's been buying children's clothes, which he kind of doesn't really know how to answer that. <laughs> yeah. And then you start to see that there's a maze drawn all over the walls of his house on the inside. Pencil, yeah. pen, marker, all types of ink. So does Detective Loki have cause to enter this house? Probable cause? I think so. He's okay. acting weird enough. Okay. You can kind of embellish it, too, yeah. if you want to.
5: <laughs> As this movie goes on, there's definitely things with him that it feels like it would be hard to keep this case going and him be the lead detective still. Yeah. <laughs> There are some line-crossing decisions by him.
4: Really? I didn't get that he was too out of control. Well,
5: the interrogation sequence, it takes a step Oh, yeah, he
4: does make a pretty big mistake. Yeah, Yeah, uh, well, that hasn't happened yet. We haven't gotten there. (laughs) I know.
5: This was just the first one that made me question it. I'm like, I'm not sure if he can just enter this house, no warrant or anything. But, yeah, that is definitely a suspicious character.
4: He might have a warrant. I can't oh. remember he doesn't show one, yeah, but yeah, maybe he got one just based on the the children's clothes thing, and yeah. that he was at he spotted him at
5: the vigil and he ran, yeah, I don't know, and it might be enough, line. yeah,
4: they kind of gloss over it. This isn't zodiac, they don't have to get all the details right 100% exactly right. right, yeah, it doesn't really matter the outfits, but I think for the audience, it would be hard not to remember the maze necklace and connect that to the mazes drawn on the walls, yeah, and it is weird. That Loki does not in the moment. Mm-hmm. I get that they probably justified it in their mind that he's distracted with this big case. As far as he knows, the corpse in the basement doesn't have anything to do with the missing girls because that guy would have already been dead. Yeah. So he's not thinking about it. <laughs> I know. In so that I think moment. he
5: just wrote it off as a bizarre one off the whole sequence with the corpse.
4: Maybe. They do question the priest, they do think that maybe yeah. there is something to it, but. They don't know what. They don't know who the guy is, so they can't really start anywhere yet. That's right. But the maze thing does stand out because if it was two completely different looking mazes, that would be yeah. one thing. But the maze design is the same. I it's know. It's the same kind of thing.
5: Now, what's going on with Bob Taylor is so specific and so weird. Yeah. Go ahead.
4: Well, there's a bunch of locked crates filled with big snakes. Oh! And bloody children's clothes. This was hard to watch. One of the crates had a handmade book with drawn things in it, including mazes. And it says, if you finish all the mazes, you can go home. By the way, how often is the crime scene investigating
5: unit letting Loki down in this movie? (laughs) It's definitely like multiple times because first it's with Alex's RV. Then it's with the stuff at this house. Yeah, not that, but,
4: well, you're acting like they're letting him down as if they're like failing. No, no. They just but, don't have anything to go with. Right. They
5: don't have, right. And then maybe at the end, they're actually letting him down by not doing a great job.
4: Well, yeah. They would have got there eventually, yeah. but he might have been frozen. <laughs> right. In the notebook, there's also a possible Donnie Darko rabbit Ooh. in Bob's weirdo sketches. It's just a rabbit, but I don't know. Some people were saying it was kind of a Donnie Darko thing. I didn't think it looked exactly like it or anything like that. But I don't know. Hmm. Loki then shows Keller and the Birch parents photos of some of the bloody clothes discovered at Bob Taylor's house, and they identify several as Joy and or Anna's. So now it seems like we have a pretty definitive. It's got to be this guy. Yeah, with this guy. How can it not be this guy? Although there are still lingering questions. I think that a very active mind might still feel like the loose ends mean something. Mm-hmm. Why was he sneaking into their houses? That's suspicious. Could that be where he got the clothes? I don't know if you're making that jump yet, but if you think about it, there's still some loose ends of things hanging out there, so you're not sure exactly what's going on yet. But needless to say, you're starting to feel way worse about what's going on with Keller and I'd Alex so. Jones oh, because yeah. now you feel like it has to be this other guy. Mm-hmm. So we confessed. He
2: said he killed them. We were hoping he was lying, but... We have any family bodies, Mr. Dover, but... The Birch's we identified two pieces of clothing. So I'm gonna need to... Gonna need you to tell me if you recognize anything.
1: Stop. <laughs> you waste time. You wasted time following me. <sighs> you let this happen.
4: There's the scene with Loki showing Keller the pictures of the bloody clothes. And the original version of this scene was much more explosive with Keller getting up and slamming Loki against the wall, oh, wow. saying like you failed and all this stuff, and they, I think it was Jackman and Villeneuve together, decided that it would be better if he was just so completely defeated and dead. Yeah, yeah. And there's so much more sadness, and mm-hmm. it's a, it's much more quiet and contained, and that would be more brutal in a way.
5: And I think it it works. I think they had that.
4: The long and short of it is that Bob Taylor confesses to the crime, but there are no bodies, and it's not exactly all tying together yet. But the identification of the clothes seems pretty damning. It's not looking good. The Birch family seems to accept what now feels like a foregone conclusion.
5: See, I actually thought that there would be, like, another little swerve here. I thought Maria Bello's character would come into the mix and be like, she wasn't wearing those socks that day.
4: They didn't need another swerve, but... I think they wanted to illustrate that she's completely checked out. She's comatose. She's she's comatose. And now Keller, who is completely unstable, is now the only one representing this family at all. Yeah. Eliza, Joy's older sister, calls Ralph and his older brother. She starts saying they're dead because obviously the Birch family has accepted it and Mm -hmm. told their other daughter what has happened. But meanwhile, Keller is flipping out and not giving up, choosing to try and hide the latest developments from his wife, literally telling his son, do not let your mother watch TV or read the newspaper. Oh, boy. This is getting crazier. Yeah, yeah. Interviewing Bob goes nowhere, so he's allowed to draw a map, which will supposedly lead to the missing girls, but instead he keeps drawing the detailed mazes. At the end of his rope, Loki assaults him, demanding real answers, Oh, in boy. the ensuing scrum, as the, uh, as other officers run in to pull Loki off of Bob, Bob grabs one of the cop's guns and Oof. kills himself, taking whatever secrets he may have had with him. Yeah. This could have turned into a complete disaster. Right. If he was really the killer and had all the secrets. Yeah. This is why you can't mess around with this shit, because, oh, yeah, it's like a piece of shit kills himself, who cares, but... Well, you know, there's a lot of loose ends that need tied up exactly. here. Exactly. These the girls, girls might still, still be missing, alive. Yeah. We don't know. Really a huge mistake totally. on Wilkie's part here. And
5: I am actually surprised in the movie that there's not really a punishment for this. Yeah. They make a comment about, I don't even know what it is exactly, but some other unit or something maybe having their eye on him. And he's like, well, I guess I don't have to worry about losing you to them anymore or something.
4: I feel like his, his boss, boss kind of seems like a lazy guy who yeah. doesn't give a shit.
5: If there was an investigation on this, it's not just that he lost the gun. I mean, he was like physically abused. (laughs)
4: Well, it wasn't his gun. Well, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) This is the part in the movie where Keller repeats the prayer from the beginning. So I'm not sure if this is supposed to be the moment that we're hearing. Or like I said, maybe he's repeating it again at the very end when he's trapped. I'm going to go with that one just because I like it more. Despite what has transpired with Bob Taylor, Keller does not give up on trying to crack Alex. As I said, this is very much like that sentence. Mm-hmm. The fanatic. In Tinker Taylor's Soldier Spy. He has now reached a point where what should be mounting evidence that this has been a horrible, horrible mistake is only driving him further towards the edge of the cliff. Keller continues torturing Alex for the location of the girls, and then Alex begins cryptically mentioning a maze needing to escape from a maze, the girls can be found in a maze, etc. but it's nearly impossible to get him to elaborate. Mm -hmm. These are just insane sentences at this point. Not knowing where else to turn, Keller goes to see Aunt Holly, learning that Alex's stuttering comes from a childhood accident involving snakes her husband kept. Holly seems a little too open to talking with Keller, and that is suspicious in a weird way. I think so, too. Because if they were completely innocent and she thought her nephew was also completely innocent, she would think this dude was a psycho that he had caused her nephew to run away.
5: And, you know, I said quick on his feet earlier. I don't know if that quite fits for here, but there's... I mean, he's kind of quickly able to turn the charm back on with her. He seems very disarming in showing up here.
4: Yeah. We've been seeing him be pretty... He's being folksy, but I think her reception of it is what's suspicious. Like, I She agree. shouldn't be willing to even give this guy any time of the day if she's completely innocent and she believes her nephew's completely innocent. I
5: know she should be like, well, you, the last interaction you did assault. Well, yeah, even if nephew. his
4: initial reaction isn't to think, oh, she's guilty. Right. He would think, well, this further confirms that her nephew must be guilty because why is she even talking to me at all? Totally. It's bizarre. Mm -hmm. So yes, this also ties in with the snakes. So now we're hearing snakes. We're hearing the mazes drawn on the wall. We're talking about missing children, an unidentified corpse in a priest's basement. We don't know how this is all connecting. Something's swirling around. I think having seen the film a couple of times, it does start coming back to you. So you start connecting it faster, but it's still kind of fun because you're not 100% sure. It's not the same thing as fully remembering the movie. Right. So you're kind of like, I think this is what this is. And then you're like, oh, yeah, definitely that's what that is. I got it. While originally devoutly religious, Holly and her husband lost faith after their son died of cancer and they adopted Alex as a way to cope, earlier in the film we were told by Aunt Holly that Alex was orphaned at six years old. So we're starting to piece some of the time frame together. I think that when she talked about her son dying, it did feel like the connection to the guy in the basement has to be her husband. Yeah. That felt like too obvious right there. This did
5: trigger something for me that it felt like, oh, she's involved because it seemed weird that this story was being told at this juncture of the movie.
4: Yeah, at a certain point with this many moving pieces, some of it is going to start to fall into place before other parts and you're going to start Seeing it right because there's too many things. At a certain point, the things have to connect. Exactly, you're gonna start seeing how they. We're on the downward slope now. Fitting together, Loki finally matches the maze pattern in Bob Taylor's drawings to the necklace worn by the corpse found in the priest's basement. So he's basically flipping out. Finally, he's smashing his keyboard at work, throwing <laughs> everything around, and that's when he finally sees the picture from the crime scene in the priest's basement. And he's like, oh yeah, this maze. How is this corpse of this guy who supposedly killed 16 children, how is he connected to Bob Taylor? What the fuck is going on? At Taylor's house, mannequins are discovered buried in the yard with their heads caved in. Huh. Loki is then informed that most of the bloody clothes were recently store-bought and then soaked with pig's blood, not human blood. It's as if old Bobby here was pretending to be a serial killer or recreating something that we don't understand. Yikes. Then Loki reveals some of Bob's backstory, which I guess he has learned about this man Mm -hmm. since arresting him. When he was a child, he too was abducted. He was drugged but managed to escape without ever seeing his abductor's face. He clearly formed an obsession around this person and the experience dedicating his life to recreating some version of it. Which is obviously just
5: a whole other level of horrifying and sad, but boy, what a
4: derangement. Some of the puzzle pieces have started to fall into place a little bit, but you still might not be sure of how everything is going to come together. Loki remembers the incident when Grace thought Anna or someone was in the house. It suddenly clicks into place. Mm -hmm. He races over to the Dover home and finds Bob's footprints and a sock matching that of Anna's which Keller had previously identified. This confirms that Bob just stole the matching clothes, items, and that the case has not been solved. That's right. The girls could very much still be out there somewhere completely different and unrelated. Everything changes when Joy is suddenly found and rescued. Yeah. This is a very strange moment in the movie, and it does Comes sort out of feel nowhere. like a deus ex machina just uh-huh. to make the plot work because... We need somewhere to go next. For a movie this complicated and complex and twisty and have all these weird elements connect together. This seems too easy to
5: get us yeah, to a conclusion. Yeah, it feels
4: like it would have been better to have the girls only found by solving this rather than have one of them escape. I do agree. Because even though she was clearly drugged and she's having trouble remembering everything, you feel like at some point, She's going to remember enough of where she came from. Agreed. To at least bring the police back to the house that she ran out of. Mm-hmm. Now, she may not remember all everything, but somebody spotted her pretty quickly, so they know like a vague area. I don't know. This know. kind of ruins the stakes a little bit, but I guess they probably just wanted to simplify it down so that you can have the big dramatic moment yeah. with Loki and Anna later and that's just clean and by itself and simple but
5: i know at a certain point it, it kind of feels like giving it away a little bit i don't know it seems like there could have been a way that they did it that you got loki there or keller enough of these things well i think we we've, we've tipped
4: the hand a little bit and i think hopefully anyone who's listening this deep into it is familiar with the plot of this movie so whatever i guess we can kind of say it we know that the girls are in Holly's house. Yeah. And ultimately, that gets traced back here in a moment, because in the hospital, Joy is drugged and woozy, unable to remember much. We I- see some brief flashes of her imprisonment and escape. Keller and Grace rush to her bedside, along with her own parents, and y- when Keller questions her, she says, you were there. Yikes. And that's how it eventually clicks to him, Yeah, where Anna is. Even though Loki ends up thinking that they made the, the apartment. That's how they do it. But, okay, what about instead of doing it that way, you come up with a, a reason for Keller to go back, uh-huh. and he just sees something that gives it away. So it's still kind of an accident, but it's not just, oh, one of the girls is able to get away. Yeah. Because that kind of deflates he sees some red of the whistle. stakes a little bit. Something. Yeah. I feel like there could have been something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. But um, it doesn't ruin the movie. Or totally, like that. It's just sort of a weird. Oh, I guess she's it just is, okay now. It
5: was a little bit uncomfortable for me when Keller and Grace are questioning this poor girl, and you understand it. You understand the perspective they're coming from, but it is so aggressive.
4: <laughs> yeah, I know because you're waiting for Joy's parents to be like, "Shut the fuck All right, up, guys!" But they know that it's. I know they know it's too awkward and is. weird. And yeah, something clicks with Keller when Joyce says you were there and he rushes out loki gives chase rushing to the apartment building though expecting that to be keller's destination because i guess by that point he's back to thinking keller must be involved yeah well, because he's like i know where you're going you son of a bitch or something like that well kind of because at this point bob taylor is essentially ruled out yeah, right. there's no hard evidence actually linking him now yeah. he was just a weirdo who has abducted himself and thus became obsessed with child abduction? And the way that he runs off is suspicious. Well, right, but there was no proof. So yeah. he, so Loki's moved off of him, and I don't know that he really has oh, stuck with. Yeah,
5: I meant the way that the way Keller runs off in the hospital is suspicious.
4: Oh right. Well, I'm yeah. saying yeah, he's now moved off of Bob Taylor and I think Alex Jones as well. So yeah, yeah. it is weird because we think of Loki as kind of heroic and a good detective, but he has gone back to Keller, but I guess it makes sense because Keller's acting so suspicious. He has
5: been doing some weird shit and he always knew that that liquor store incident was
4: not all on the up and up. Well, right. He was walking in a completely different yeah. direction and an acted like something else was happening. As I said, Loki gives chase rushing to the apartment building, expecting that to be Keller's destination. But of course, Loki doesn't find Keller there. He discovers Alex instead, Meanwhile, Keller goes back to Holly's house to find Anna.
3: Hello again.
1: Hey, I was hoping you'd, uh, you'd let me do some penance. For what? For scaring you the other day, the, uh, the police station.
3: You already apologized for that.
1: I know. I was, you know, I thought maybe you, uh, you could use some, uh, Help around the you know, I noticed your door here needs fixing, so I brought my tools and uh
3: Oh. I see. I Burn myself. Feel a little icky today. But I'm glad you wanna talk some more. No need to make excuses. You come on in and make me a cup of tea. Come Put your hands on your head and turn around. Do it. I'm just gonna go. Don't touch that bag. Put your hands on your head. Come over here to this counter. Come on. Top drawer. Open it. Mm Mm-hmm. Put them on. You don't know me, Mr. Dover. But believe me when I tell you, I won't let you go. You don't have to drink all of it. About a third should do for a man your size. Something to make you more manageable. Forget it. Drink it, Mr. Dover. I'll we'll kill you right here in my kitchen and bring your daughter in here and have her scrub your brains off the shit. Bring her. Drink. Just let me see her. Let me see her? Yes. That's your ticket to your daughter right there. more, Mr. Dover. <sighs> Little more. Take it out of your pocket. Put it in the sink. Put it in the disposal. Put your car keys on the table. Put your car keys on the table. That's right. Over to the transom over there. The car over there. Come on, move it. Get over there. The look on your face. My husband used to have the very same look. So we took Alex. He was the first kid we ever took. His name was Jimmy. Very, very. Can't remember. I doubt he can either. So many names. Forgot all about Bobby Taylor until I read about him in the paper. Get in the driver's seat. Open the door and get in the car. Making children disappear is the war we wage with God. Makes people lose their faith. Turns them into demons
4: like you. Keller and Holly speak briefly, both putting on a show, both knowing the truth, and both knowing that the other person knows, too. It's one of those moments. They both clearly know that the other knows, and they're just sort of waiting for one of them to blink. Yeah. And it's Keller because he turns his back. Holly pulls a gun. She explains that before her husband disappeared, they abducted children as part of their war on God to avenge their son's death and to create demons out of the traumatized parents. Mm -hmm. It turns out that Alex was their first abduction. Yeah. Bob Taylor was their second. So if you go back in time, Loki has already spoken with "Quote unquote," Alex's real mother, Barry, is Alex. That's right. And so, from that moment on, as soon as that clicks, yeah, I'm thinking, well, we just got to get Barry back to mom, right, <laughs> at all costs. Yeah, yeah. Now,
5: for Keller's part, should he have had a better plan going in here?
4: He definitely underestimated her, which is yeah. fucked up because if they're abducting children, right, you have to be prepared There's a for dark anything. Here, yeah. At gunpoint, she makes keller drink what i guess is some sort of drugged liquid seems awful the moment where holly asks keller to drink a little more was improvised by melissa leo who thought hugh jackman wasn't drinking enough to make the situation believable (laughs) that is kind of like a funny part of the movie where she's like all right drink some more
5: (laughs) i know i actually think that that works because i was feeling that too it's this big jug and she says he's a big guy and needs to drink more of it Yeah, yeah yeah
4: Holly shoots Keller in the leg and then imprisons him in a hidden pit in her yard under an old rundown Trans Am. Down there, he finds Anna's whistle, the very one she and Joy originally went to look for back on Thanksgiving, but Anna is not down there in Uh the pit with him because we learned that once Alex disappeared, Holly got lonely and brought Joy and Anna into the house which is how joy was able to escape because they both ran out the front door and Holly was only able to grab Anna. We saw that in one of the quick flashes in the aftermath of Alex being discovered, Loki is dispatched to the Jones home to inform Holly when he knocks, there is no answer, but the front door is unlocked. Loki enters the property and spots a photo of Holly's missing husband wearing the maze necklace in case you somehow still had questions this should click pretty much everything into place. Yeah.
5: I want to go back for just a quick second. There's something that is extra creepy to me about when she leaves him in the pit and then you see her driving his truck off to, yeah. like wherever. There's just something extra haunting to me about the making all of that stuff disappear.
4: Well, yeah, it's like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. They have all those cars yeah. <laughs> hidden around back. <laughs> It speaks to experience. She's a pro. She just knows the basics. She knows what to do. There's no panic about it. It's second nature, really, to cover up a murder. Realizing that Holly must be the kidnapper, Loki searches the house and discovers Holly giving Anna an injection. This is kind of badass. I know that she's a child murderer and maybe in the original script even maybe a pedophile, but it's sort of a badass line to say. (laughs) Make sure they cremate me. I don't yeah. want to be buried in some box. Right as you're turning around to pull a gun on a yeah, cop, yeah, wow, it was pretty bad. I know,
5: and she squeezes a shot
4: off too that grazes yeah. him. Yeah, it's hard it grazes to Grazes his face. Yeah. <laughs> in a shootout, Loki kills Holly, but is grazed in the head. Blood pouring down his face. He rushes Anna to the hospital in a wet, snowy storm. Oh, I know. While fighting his own unconsciousness, one of my least
5: favorite things in film is car sequences don't really care about cars not really for me this is incredible this whole thing where he's swerving all over the place he can't see the weather is crazy he's driving through red lights swerving through traffic it's a race
4: against time to save this girl's life Matt I could not agree more okay (laughs) this is actually a very exciting and unexpected thing in this movie yeah because as I wrote right here like I literally wrote the word like yeah like the film's already an easy A yeah, without this. I know. And then all of a sudden, you just have this really exciting two and a half minute race to the hospital as this drugged girl maybe has been yeah. overdosed. We don't know we what have she no was injecting. Idea.
5: She could be dead already, for all I know. Well, she's
4: vomiting in the backseat because okay, you're, yeah. wor- you're worried she might choke on it or something, but he can't really stop. He's just got to go and. The weather conditions make it particularly tense and exciting. Not
5: to mention he's like losing
4: his vision from blood dripping into his eye. A newspaper informs us that Alex, a.k.a. Barry, was reunited with his family after 26 years. Keller, on the other hand, is still missing. A recuperating Anna and Joy visit a bandaged Loki in his hospital room to thank him for saving them. Not a lot of words to say between the two, really, but... I was getting a lot of laughs out of watching the little girl playing Anna. Yeah. Because I think she didn't really know what to do Mm -hmm. because they didn't give her any lines, which was weird because she does sort of kind of try to say thank you as they're actually backing out of the room, but that's really the only time she attempts to talk. Right. And I think they were going for, she's so... Out of it. Uh That's why she's not talking. But the girl, like, clearly didn't really know what to do. It was just sort of a weird performance to watch her face. I should be talking, but I'm not.
5: And I think there's an intentional amount of awkwardness because it is a weird situation. (laughs) Well, they never really interacted. Yeah, he saved her life, but they never interacted before. Yeah,
4: and I guess to a little kid, they don't really fully grasp exactly what just happened. And it's
5: clear that, like, the mom understands everything and she's trying to make it be this moment.
4: Uh, Detective Loki.
3: I hope we're not intruding. Mm. She's doing real good. She's gonna be up and around in a few days, aren't you, buddy? She just wanted to come and say thank you and hi to her hero. Hello. Uh, would you mind giving me a name? Yeah.
2: Thank you. Say goodbye, Joy. Hurry up. Say goodbye, Anna.
3: Uh, no, she keeps insisting that Joy helped her find it on Thanksgiving before they were taken, but I think she's just confused. I got her a new one. He hasn't contacted me. I know you don't. I know you probably don't believe that, but he
2: hasn't. Um, I believe you.
3: Do you think you're gonna find him? Yeah. And I'll go to jail. Probably. I miss him. He he did what he had to do to find Anna and I thank God for that. He's a good
4: man. At this point the assumption between his wife and Loki even is that Keller is on the run for what he did to Alex they don't really even know exactly what could have happened Mm -hmm. I guess it is strange that he ran off in a hurry from the hospital like why would he then run off to hide from Alex but maybe Loki just thinks that wherever he ran off he guessed wrong yeah and that Alex then was discovered and so then in the meantime after guessing wrong about wherever he was rushing off he was like oh shit I gotta keep going I guess. It's just weird that the timing was, he seemed like he was about to find something and then all of a sudden he's just gone. Right. I don't know. But yeah, this is kind of what I was bringing up before, the toll of what Keller has done. He's basically spoiled what should be a triumphant, glorious moment for the family. There's a dark cloud now. Mm -hmm. On the one hand, Grace must be feeling an insane amount of joy. The same time, the Birch family also feeling an insane amount of joy. But both Nancy and Franklin... Have that guilt with them forever. Yeah. And they probably also will live in fear that one day Barry, aka Alex, will be able to coherently say that other people them. were involved yeah. and they could be in trouble too. And for the Dover family, they have to reconcile what their father did and they have to live with him now being gone potentially. They don't know what is going on exactly. You know, Matt, it really is. It stinks. It really is like a
5: sucker punch.
4: Later, Loki wanders the crime scene at Holly's house. Winter is really settling in by this point. Everyone is about to leave for the night when Loki faintly hears a whistle blowing, and the movie kind of ends on that with the assumption being that Keller will miraculously be rescued, even though at that point he probably has been out there for a couple of days in the cold. Yeah, I guess you would probably he be able to survive underground yeah. without completely freezing to death. I don't know. It'd be pretty rough. Definitely. And you're going to go to jail now. Originally, Keller Dover was never discovered by the police at the end, and it was supposed to be that he would remain a missing person and just die under there as, okay. I guess, punishment for what he did.
5: I think that would have been fine still, but it's one more great little feature to have the whistle blowing at the end.
4: I don't mind the way they did it, although having it end with that being like kind of the ironic consequence or yeah. whatever.
5: Would it actually be better for the family
4: if he died? Because then it kind of goes on. <laughs> I don't know, because then you have to reconcile his death plus what he did, whereas yeah. if he doesn't die, then it's just what he did. I know, but the
5: whole going to prison thing is doesn't seem like it's going to be good either. It's fucked
4: up, but yeah. it will be spun in a way where he is portrayed very sympathetically sure. by the media. True. And he will probably get off unfairly light because people will think that he was justified, even though ultimately he was not, and he was torturing another victim. Yeah.
5: Am I crazy to be critical of not moving the Trans Am as part of this forensics investigation of the site? I think
4: that, well, they would have got there is what yeah. I was saying. if. If Loki doesn't hear the whistle, they would have gotten there eventually. Right. But I think if you leave out him hearing the whistle, then you would think, well, he would probably die from freezing to death at some point if they're not going to find him soon. The name Keller is also the German word for basement or cellar. A couple of basements are seen in the film, including Keller's, which is full of survival supplies. And then Keller himself ends up trapped in sort of a makeshift cellar. So that's your picture, Kevin. Thanks for the listener request. Yeah, great pick. I can freely admit this, that Kevin's way of thinking was pretty much in line with ours. I believe we would have eventually gotten to this movie. I always had it projected in the future yeah. schedules. Eventually we would have gotten to it. But since Kevin wanted to hear it, we got to it earlier. People seem to like Villeneuve, we yeah. had a rival earlier as a listener request. People seem to like Hugh Jackman. We had the Prestige. True. We know people like Gyllenhaal, mm-hmm. including Kevin. So yeah, there are some themes emerging amongst the listener requests, which I don't think I would have thought possible. But here we are: several Nolans, definitely. several Villeneuves. Yeah, our All listeners right. in line with what we like. They definitely have a type. Yeah, I'll say that. I do think Villeneuve and Nolan have some similarities. I agree.
5: How much uh crossover in the listenership do you think we have of the people that like Christopher Nolan and
4: Wish Upon a Star? Do well, we... I think that's what makes it unique to us and yeah. our personalities. <laughs> the there's only... not a lot of people who fit some of the crossovers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we don't even reveal our full true personalities. Our picks could be even more ridiculous and varied. (laughs) We try to pretend like we're cooler with some of these (laughs) picks. (laughs) We would be like doing nonstop teen movies from the late 90s just over and over.
5: When people ask me for recommendation episodes, I always pick that stuff. I'm always like, that's our real
4: house. I don't think I'm thrilled with whatever we did with 10 Things I Hate About You because we didn't have notes. Remember, we watched it and then just recorded off the cuff with (sighs) no notes. Might
5: have to be a revisited we'll see yeah who knows
4: all right thank you to kevin for the listener request thanks for the continued support it's people like kevin who really just keep this thing going we have a small but very loyal and very interactive love listenership i think our percentage of people who interact with us is way higher than comparable podcasts i would imagine i think we have a high percentage
5: continues to increase too
4: Yeah. We love to hear from you. Please email the show. Greatestpod at gmail.com. Greatestpod at gmail.com. This episode, I feel like has been long enough. We're not going to do an email on this one, but we will read an email on the next episode, which will be coming your way in just a few short days. So stay tuned. Yeah, it's incredible how taking one week of the show off at the beginning of August or the beginning of July or whenever that was has really thrown everything off, and I'm still scrambling to catch up. Oh, that's all right. But here we are. We're doing two listener requests in short order, so make sure you're subscribed to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, or wherever because you never want to miss an episode. And sometimes they come out on different days, multiple times a week. Give us a seconds are back in the mix now. All kinds of stuff. Please give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts as well. That still remains our favorite thing. So let's get into the segments to close it out. As I said, we will hold off on an email for this episode, but we're going to do a quick recommendation segment.
2: What are you doing? What?
4: What? Vincent stopped making pics.
0: Well, how am I going to know what movies to see?
4: We have a wide variety of Gene picks.
3: Gene's trash.
4: I'm Gene. I'm up this time. Okay. Matt will do next episode. We're recording back to back today. Yep. So Matt will save his. I'm just going to do a quick one. Matt already mentioned this movie. Ooh. It's not streaming anywhere for free right now other than Canopy, which is the one where you need your library card, I think, to get access. I guess it's on Cinemax. I don't have Cinemax. I'm... Of course, talking about the other Gyllenhaal Villeneuve collaboration, Enemy, streaming on Canopy Cinemax, or streaming rental. It's a very strange movie. It's very different from Prisoners. Yeah. It's kind of science fiction. I guess it's definitely science fiction, but it's weird in a way that is hard to even explain. Agreed. It's a movie that needs to be experienced. I can't really explain it to you. Maybe we'll do it one day on the show. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely interesting. It's a lot shorter than Prisoners, too. It's like true, only 90 minutes, but it's very weird. <laughs> I watched it once, and I liked it, but I sort of feel like I might like it more with multiple viewings. I've only seen it once. It has one of the strangest, most unexpected jump scares. Is it the end? or We'll talk off Okay, Mike. It's something I don't even know if it's supposed to be scary. I don't know. It's just something so unexpected. I don't know if like, I remember. Yeah. Oh, it's reminiscent of something in Arrival, too. Uh, okay. The scene in Arrival is where all of a sudden one of those aliens is just in the room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A dream. Okay, that's what I'm thinking of, yeah. Yeah, there's that thing towards right. the end where yeah, he's yeah. in his room. You're like, what the fuck? Yes.
0: <laughs> She's never seen a single Paul Walker movie? That's a huge oh-no-no. No. She also
2: doesn't care about Blu-ray. She's a monster.
4: No email this week, but we will do physical media spotlight. A little bit more information coming in the next episode on the future of Physical Media Spotlight, but we're doing it right now. My next two for this episode and next are both going to be pre-orders, things that are exciting me that are coming down the pike. Mm. For this episode, I'm going to mention Arrow's October Slate. Not every single one, but I pre-ordered three items from this Wow! because I was very excited. That's part of the fun of some of these labels giving up on physical media is that they will license out more titles to the boutique labels which do a better job they're more into the special features they're more into the packaging etc they're more into making sure that it's the best audio the best visual whatever they can possibly do so i don't mind it but it is sort of depressing that physical media is dying but one of the side effects is that the boutique labels are going to have their little heyday here arrows october slate hellraiser quartet of torment 1987 to 1996, the first four Hellraiser Hmm. films in beautiful, wonderful 4K. I have the long out-of-print Arrow 3, first three films, which has been like a very high dollar amount on eBay. I don't know why people ever do that kind of shit. It's like they're going to re-release it in 4K. Just wait it out. And they added an extra movie because the old set only had the first three. I don't think Hellraiser 4 is very good and 3 is only mediocre, but the first two are incredible. The sequel is also pretty awesome. We did the first one on the show. Mm-hmm. I think that first movie is very cool, very inventive, Definitely. interesting, weird. unique. There's not a <laughs> yeah. lot of movies like that. Right. The villain is just an average British housewife. Yeah. <laughs> really? <laughs> You'd love to see it. Meanwhile, Pinhead is in it, but yeah. he's not really like the main villain. It's yeah. such a weird movie. Frank. <laughs> <laughs> Frank is quite Using a, a switchblade in his lovemaking. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Frank was an intense guy. Also coming from Arrow in October, The House by The Cemetery 4K, the uh, yes. Lucio Fulci film. I do have a 4K of it, but mine's pretty basic. Really? I think so, yeah. And then Witness in 4K, oh, yeah. the Peter Weir film starring Harrison Ford, which we may do one day on this podcast, I don't know. It's sort of a an underrated, kind of forgotten film. Thriller from the 80s, which I believe was pretty popular when it came out.
5: Okay. It's one that I've always seen up on various streaming platforms over the years, but I haven't watched it.
4: Maybe I just have a weird connection with it because my parents really didn't own a lot of like R-rated VHS tapes because they they weren't big movie people. But yeah, yeah, they had a Witness VHS tape for some reason. I don't know why. I never watched it when I was a kid. The first time I saw it was only a few years ago, but I, I definitely liked it. There's a whole run of Harrison Ford as a leading man type movies that, for whatever reason, don't get talked about a lot, but he was a pretty big, consistent star in a lot of movies, and other than the franchise ones, you never hear that much about them, maybe except for Air Force One and The Fugitive, but a lot of them you don't hear a ton about, but there's a lot of them. Yeah, definitely. And Witness is one, and Danny Glover plays a villain in it, which is very weird. Yeah, that's uncommon. You don't see that a lot. All right, so if you're into that, check it out. I know the Hellraiser 4K set, I believe, is already hard to find.
5: <laughs> okay.
4: It's not even coming out for months, but it was selling very quickly. And I think some of the sites that I rely on, they, their allotments were already being pre-sold. But anyway, if you're into 4Ks, check those out. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks to Kevin for the listener requests. You know the details. At Pod on X and Twitter. GreatestPod at gmail.com com is the email. We will be back in just a few days with Carla's listener request. If you have your own, hey, reach out. we still got a few slots left in 2023. We'll talk to you soon.
6: The roof, the roof, the roof is on fire. The roof, the roof, the roof is on fire. The roof, the roof, the roof, the roof is on fire. We don't need no water, let the motherfucker burn. Burn, motherfucker. Jimmy Pop and I'm a dumb white guy I'm not old or new but middle school Fifth grade like junior high I don't know mofo if y'all peeps be beep, buggin', Giving props to my hoe cause she fly But I can take the heat cause I'm the other white me Known as Kid Funky Funky Yeah, I'm hung like planet Pluto Hard to see with a naked eye But if I crashed into Uranus I would stick it where the sun don't shine Cause I'm kind of like Han Solo Always stroking my own wolfie I'm the root of all that's evil Yeah, but you can call me cookie The roof, the roof, the roof is on fire Motherfucker burn yo, yo, this hard for ghetto gangster image a lot of practice. I'm not black like Barry White, no. I am white like Frank Black is. So if man is five and the devil is six, then that must make me seven. This heart is gone to heaven, but if I go to hell, well then I hope I burn well. I'll spend my days with JFK, Marvin gay Mother Ray, and. Motherfucker. Everybody, here
0: we go. i
6: birthday to you
5: we love you Cheyenne happy birthday hope it's awesome
0: happy birthday shy shy happy birthday
3: love you
2: uh, Uncle Jean passed away this morning.